every day is a brand new adventure. So let's embark on this journey together. City News 570 presents Kitchener Today. Welcome. This is Kitchener Today, and I'm your guest host, a terrified middle-aged man. Uh, my name is Brittle Star. My mother calls me Stuart Reynolds. Actually, that's not true. My mother calls me Brittle Star now, too, because she wants to stay on brand, and she knows that if she wants to get treated well, she has to stay on brand. So that's good. I'm excited to be here. Uh, for those of you who uh, don't know who I am, I'm a, a middle-aged man who makes videos on the internet. And that's why I ended up here, which is the natural progression of things, I guess. And I'm excited to be here because I'm going to, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff today. But I first wanted to kind of give you guys an idea of who I am and uh, and how I got here because it is a bit weird. It's a bit of a weird story. Um, back in 2013, uh, I was kind of floating around wondering what to do and ended up creating some videos on an app called Vine, which was a 6.4 second looping uh, video app. And that kind of turned into this whole job, which I've been doing for the past nine years. And this sort of ended up in this position. But going back even further than that, I look at some of the decisions I made in my life. And I remember thinking for a long time, thinking, oh, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait until someone tells me I'm ready to do something. I'm going to wait to say, you know what? Yes, you can go learn how to do that. Yes, you can go into that direction. And I quickly realized that that's just, it's not a really great way to live. You just don't really end up doing anything because you're waiting for this magical permission from someone that doesn't actually exist at all. Um, and when I realized that, I thought to myself, okay, let's just, uh, let's just, you know, say yes to some things. Let's just say, I want to try that. Let's just try it. Let's just do it. So I ended up doing that and ended up, you know, creating videos on this Vine app and then working for Disney briefly and, and going to California to do some stuff there and then working with some really fun people like the Property Brothers and Gordon Ramsay and, uh, and Alan Thicke, and, uh, who I stole my bio line from, by the way, just in case anyone's looking at the bio of, of me on Twitter, at Brittlestar. Uh, it says the Internet's favorite dad with an asterisk and says unproven. And that's because, uh, well, first of all, you can't prove it. And you can't prove I'm not either. That's probably goes both, cuts both ways, basically, what I'm trying to say. Um, but I basically stole that from Alan Thicke because he used to be, in his bio on Twitter, was America's favorite dad. But favorite was spelt the Canadian way, with a little bit of a wink to his uh, his past as, as growing up in Canada. And then when he died, I thought, that's fair enough. It's fair game now. So I thought I'd steal it. Um, but I wanted to ask you guys, actually, who are listening now... Are there things that you're waiting for? Are there things that you are, you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if I should do that. I don't know if I should, you know, should I move on to this new career? Should I, should I take the plunge in this relationship? Is, are you waiting for things in general before you move ahead? Are you waiting for permission from someone? Like, what are you waiting for? And if you want to call in, I don't know how you do that. Someone will have to tell me how to do that. But you can call in. It's going to be great, whatever the information is for calling. I think if you just pick up your phone and yell, that's probably the best idea I'm about to be told in seconds, but I want you to think about that and just sort of decide what you like to do. Because I'd like to hear sort of like what your plans are. And I would like to encourage those plans, unless they're dastardly. If they're dastardly plans, if they're plans that involve like world takeovers, or even just more regional like municipal government takeovers, like, you know, seditious style, I'm not going to encourage you to do that. If it's like, I want to learn how to skateboard, hey, then that's perfect. I will tell you that you can do that, and I will encourage you to do that. I'll be the permission. Maybe that's it. Maybe you just need some arbitrary permission because that's what you're kind of waiting for before you do that new venture in your life. And maybe I'm that arbitrary permission. Maybe I'm the guy and the, the voice on the radio that's talking to you. Don't tell people you took advice from a voice on the radio, though. That's probably not a good thing as well. 
I think you need to make sure that uh, you sound somewhat sane so that people will buy into your decision to learn how to skateboard or to learn how to be a flight attendant, which, by the way, is a very, very short process. I'm just on a tangent here. I just don't know why I'm on a tangent, but the very short process to be a flight attendant, you know, it's only six weeks of training. Doesn't that provide you with a little bit of nervousness? I'm looking over at the producers right now, Brittany and Polly, and, and they're both, Brittany looks somewhat scared, and, uh, and Polly looks like he could handle anything. He's like, he could jump in if he wanted to. I don't know. Don't you just bring people drinks? How Six dare weeks you? for that? How dare you? I know. How, I, it's There's a lot more going on in people's jobs than the, in, than on the surface. When that just, turbulence ha- hits and you're worried about the plane going down, you need the cool, calm, steady hand of a flight attendant to tell you the things that are going to be okay. When the turbulence hits, the flight attendants are in their little side room all buckled up. Yeah, but that's how you tell if it's good or not. You have to <laughs> you look at them because if it's going to be okay. If they're buckled up, that's okay. You're allowed to be buckled up and be safe. But if they're like, yeah, that's fine, and they're reading their phone or they're whatever, they're reading a book, you're like, that's okay. If they're hanging on to each other's hands and saying sorry to each other, you know, sorry for what happened in Waikiki or something, because they have a lot of stopovers. I don't know what their lives are like. And uh, then you worry. But apart from that, but only six weeks. It takes six weeks to do that kind of thing, which is crazy. Six weeks of training, and then you're a flight attendant. That doesn't seem right to me. You should, you should know how to fly. They should all know how to fly the, fly the plane. I think that's the key. They should all be able to be like, the captain should come out and say, listen, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to watch that new Marvel movie. And I would like you guys to fly the plane for half an hour. At least I'll watch it in chunks. It doesn't matter. I'll watch it in chunks. It'll be good. And if any flight attendant whatsoever, doesn't matter, should be like, hang on, let me put the drinks cart back. And I will walk up there and I will fly the plane. Absolutely, Captain. I think that'd be nice. I think that'd be a nice thing. I mean, I don't want to add years onto the process of being a flight attendant, but I would feel better as a, as a passenger on a plane if I knew that anybody in a uniform could fly that plane. So this is the kind of great content you're going to be getting when you listen to me on the show today. <laughs> like, oh, great, I can't wait to tune in to find out what this guy thinks about flight attendant training. That sounds perfect. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff today, and I want you to start thinking about this. We're going to talk about uh, social media uh, in general because that's my bread and butter. That's uh, where I've essentially been living for the past nine years. And I want to know what you think, if it's good or bad. Is social media good or bad? I happen to think it's both, but we'll talk about that. Uh, We're also going to talk about coming out of the pandemic, uh, what's going to happen to the travel industry? What's going to happen to that? I mean, people are desperate to travel, but people are also really, really nervous to travel, too. And, and you know, it's a whole new world. So we'll see what happens. We've got a couple people to talk about that as well. Uh, and then finally, we're going to talk about uh, if we're addicted to uh, takeout apps. I can see Brittany is practicing her flight attendant moves now. See, this is the... I said to Brittany before we went on air, and really, if you're listening now, if you're listening online, please tweet that you're listening online at Brittlestar. Let me know that you're uh, listening online. If you're listening just by yourself in your car, open your window and tell the nearest person that you're listening. Um, but I want you... I said to Brittany before we went on air that I really want to create a Fraser Raws situation here. I don't know what that makes Polly, but like a mad dog? No, because he's another host guy. I don't know who you would be. Who would who would you be in Fraser? No, I'm Roz. You're, you're I'm Roz. the technical producer. I'm the call screener. Right. So that's what Roz did on the show. I'm Roz. I don't know what Brittany is. I'm Roz. That's wow. You know, I came here with one goal, and that was to tear this team apart. And I think that I will be able to achieve that 
in no time whatsoever. If you've turned this station on to uh, hear me as just sort of background for something else more important that you're doing, well, you're in luck. I will be that background din for the next three hours. God, that seems like a long time, doesn't it? Don't worry, it'll fly by. It flies by. It yeah. does fly but by. But before you know it, it'll be 2 o'clock, and you're yeah. like, I'm two-thirds of the way through this And I thing. want you to know, just like flight attendants who should be able to fly the plane, and just like captains who want to take a break and watch the new Marvel movie, if you want to take a break, you can just like close your eyes for a bit. Don't worry, unless you're driving. Uh, close your eyes for a little bit and just relax and enjoy the ride. That's the main thing. Uh, and I'll just uh, use my dulcet, Laramie-smooth tones to, uh, to soothe you into your Wednesday. That was a dramatic pause for no reason whatsoever. So, yes, yeah, so what I do, if you don't know, again, is I create videos on social media, and I've been doing that. I do that for brands. People often ask me, the main question they ask me is, how do you make money? And uh, the next question is, why do you keep showing up on my feed? Um, the second question is more accusatory and makes it sound like I've ruined them somehow, ruined their day. Uh, which is fine. I'm okay with that because I still get paid because of the first part. Uh, but I I make videos, and about 90% of the videos I make are uh, commenting on sort of current news events. They're about talking about uh, zeitgeist things, things that are happening right now, and uh, sort of like my take on things and, uh, and try to make it comedic if possible. And then the other part of it is I work with brands, which is really fun. So I get to... Uh, to do cool things like I did a number of years ago in 2017. I did a video called Explaining Canada Day to Americans. I'll let that sink in, let people remember that one. But the Canadian talking on his deck to his American neighbor over the fence. I'll just wait. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm trying not to do dead air, so that's why I'm making these noises now. I'm just waiting for you to remember it. Explaining Canada Day to Americans. What do you got to be so proud about? We got In America, we got eagles and freedom. And then the Canadian responds back with all the great things that Canada has. And uh, that video is probably the one that most people know me from. Uh, it was the biggest branded video in the world, beat out, beating out Nike and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. And I'll have you know that I could probably take him in a game of soccer as well. Um, don't, don't quote me on that, and don't, please don't let Cristiano know that I said that. So yes, so basically that's what I've been doing and that's uh, what's happening and I can see, uh, you know, it'll be fun to sort of sit and talk and of course I've done live streams and all that kind of stuff before and we're going to meander, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about social media, travel, uh, you know, takeout apps, all that kind of stuff, all that kind of fun stuff, but I do still want <laughs> to still want to see what your thoughts are on, on uh, waiting for permission. Is there something you want to do? That's the question. Is there something that you want to do in life that you haven't done yet because you don't feel like you're ready to do it. That's what I want to know. If your name doesn't start with R, you're welcome to call in. If your name doesn't end in H, you're welcome to call in. But anyone else, if that, those rules don't apply to you, that's the only rules that I've been given by the station. And, uh, and really, because I think we all know what some people's goals are. But that's okay. Listen, that's all right. Sometimes it's just the right form. It's finding the right form for these things to make it exciting and to make it interesting. That's the main thing. Um, I just, uh, looking over the notes here, and uh, we're going to be talking again to a few people for social media. We're going to talk to Dr. Jen Golbeck, who's an AI and privacy professor of computer science uh, at the University of Maryland. We're going to talk to Aaron Reynolds, who's the author of Effin Birds, if you happen to follow that account on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, and Instagram. We're going to talk to uh, John Kastner, the GM of the Stratford Perth Museum, which of course is I'm from Stratford, and uh, that's where the Justin Bieber exhibit is. We're also going to talk to Suleiman Ahmed, who's the co-founder of the No Fly List Kids, who's done some really great stuff, and also a former Air Canada employee. 
And then, of course, uh, our expert on Skip the Dishes, uh, Bob Roth, is going to chime in as well. I see we've got a call, and I've never done this before, and this could all go horribly wrong, but it looks like Kyle's on the line, and I'm just going to put him on here. We're going to find out what Kyle has, is, wants to do in his life, and then we're going to try to see if we can give permission or maybe just drop the call like a rock. We'll find out. Here it goes. Hey, Kyle, you're on the air now. How are you? We're good. How are you? Just fine, thank you. So tell me, what it is, what's, what's it you want to do in life? What, do you, what are you waiting for permission for that I can give you permission for? Do you want to go skydiving? Do I want to go skydiving? Uh, I, skydiving, but I'm scared of heights. I don't do roller coasters and all that stuff. So yeah, I, I, it's just one thing I really want to do. I think, I think, I think it's fairly safe. I mean, you never hear about people who it's unsuccessful for. You just never hear from them again. Um, so I mean, there's. I think it's based on that. It's totally safe. I think you should. I think there's lots of things you can do to train for that. You can go in. It doesn't take very long. It only takes a few hours to learn how to do that. Less than a flight attendant. And. <laughs> Yeah, I think you should. Those flight attendants, they go through rigorous training. Like, if you get three marks, you're done within those three, within those six weeks. So, yeah. Something like that, right? But, um, one more thing. My friends in the States love that video. I remember seeing you on YouTube a few years ago, and I had to show them, and we were all dying laughing. Like, they were like, who is this? I'm like, I don't know, but his, his content's fantastic. So, I just wanted to say that that video that you had with the United States and Canada was fantastic. Oh, thank you so much, Kyle. I really appreciate that. And now that I've developed a bond with you, I don't want you to go skydiving, just in case something horrible happens. Well, just remember me. You'll you'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) I think you'll be totally fine. But you're afraid of heights as well, though? Like, like you just... Well, I have a pilot license, but yeah, I'm afraid of heights. Wait a minute. You have a pilot's license and you're afraid of heights? Did you put that... It's more of the control thing. Like, I don't trust a kid on, like, Wonderland that's, like, 16 years old texting his girlfriend while he's pushing a button for me to go upside down. Right? Well, it's more of a control thing, right? Right. So, I mean, I don't mind. I mean, like in an airplane, the you know, floating with like a little strap that's over your shoulder upside yeah. down. Yeah, it doesn't do good for me. I don't know. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I think. I mean, if you want to go skydiving, I think you should. Like, you sound fairly young right now. I think you can. But I mean, you can. It doesn't really have an age limit skydiving, does it? I mean, once you've paid your money, they'll take you up and throw you out of any plane. Doesn't matter how old you are. That's very true. Yeah. That's very true. All right. Thanks for the wise advice, my friend. All right, man. Thanks for calling in. Take care, Carl. Well, that was exciting. That went really well. There was like no F-bombs. There was uh, no swearing. He didn't uh, yell at me at all. And uh, yeah, I think it was pretty great. Um, so we're going to talk some more uh, about me because it's my favorite uh, subject. And we're going to talk briefly to uh, Richard here. Actually, we've got a couple of seconds. We've got a very little time. We've got about 30 seconds to talk to Richard, but we'll talk to Richard. So... Richard, you're on the air. What is it that you're waiting for permission to do? I'm waiting for permission to call into the uh, radio again. Good, uh, welcome, <laughs> welcome to the program, Brittle Star. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to hearing you. I'm hoping it's not a, a one time gig, um, and uh, and you certainly can't be any worse than the guy who uh, who started the day. So um, congratulations <laughs> on your spot, and I hope uh, I hope to hear a lot more. Again. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, I think I'm just here to, to lower the bar for everybody, so that'll be, it should be good, but I appreciate, appreciate the kind words, though, Richard. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, my name's Rush, actually, but uh, yeah, have a great day. Oh, uh, good for you, Rush. Well done. Stealthy. Do you see that? But you know what? He became, you came on there, Rush, and you came on, and you were a gentleman, and you were kind, and you were nice, apart from the pot shot, but apart from that, you were fine, and I mean, that's, I mean, that's it. We're all happy to talk to people. That's the really fun thing. Uh, We're going to take a quick break right now. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Welcome back. It's me, Stuart Reynolds, better known as Brittle Star, a guy who makes videos on the Internet and somehow ended up on your radio. 
I'm better looking on the radio. That joke's probably been made before, but that's okay. Um, we were just talking, before we get into our first uh, meaty subject, I was talking about uh, how if you're waiting to do something in your life and you're waiting for permission to do it, sometimes that permission is just kind of arbitrary. It's just yourself holding yourself back. So if there's something you want to do in life, I want to know what about it. I don't know. I don't. I want to know what it is. I want to know all about it, and I want to be able to give you permission to do it. Um, I would ask, uh, you know, Polly and Brittany what they would like to do. But I mean, this is it. This is really they have reached the pinnacle of their. This is the goals. This is exactly what they want to do in life. And this is perfect for them. Um, so if you're looking to, uh, to get permission for something you want to do, and a, a ta- something to tackle, a challenge to tackle, we had Kyle on early, earlier, and Kyle said that he wanted to uh, go skydiving. He has a pilot's license, and he's afraid of heights. So he's already tackled that almost living, breathing oxymoron that he is. And uh, he's, he's, he's doing it. You know what I mean? He's, he's, uh, he's going he's gonna to go out there and he's going to jump out of a plane, hopefully with some training and hopefully with a parachute. Um, but that kind of thing. I want to know if there's something you're waiting for someone to say, you know what? You should do this now because I'm that guy. I'm the voice in the radio is going to tell you right now to do it. I think back to 2004 and um, I uh, had really wanted to make an album. I was really into music. I'd been making music for a long time and I really wanted to make an album. And I wanted to get, I was waiting for someone to tell me it was a good, good idea to start. Like it was okay to create this album and to make the, this music. And eventually I realized, well, you know what? I'm just getting older. Every year I keep saying the thing. I'm waiting for, I'm, same thing. I'm waiting for someone to give me permission to do it. And then I realized maybe I should just kind of start doing it. So I ended up and I went out to Zeller's and I bought a $600 Acer uh, desktop. Uh, I uh, threw out a Hail Mary sort of request for help from a, a songwriter who I, admi- I admired. And, um, and then I just started doing it. And then I ended up making an album in 2004 that ended up going on to be licensed by MTV and uh, was used in the MTV Real World series and uh, it made a little bit of money. And then I made a couple of other albums that made no money. And uh, then I went into comedy, uh, the normal sort of, normal sort of process. Uh, but I want to find out what it is you're waiting for permission to do. And we're going to talk to Mark here in a second. So let's see what Mark says. Hey, Mark, you're on the air. What are you, uh, what are you waiting for permission for? Uh, I'm not really waiting for permission, but I've always been procrastinating about, uh, I've always liked to learn how to play the guitar. Mm -hmm. And I just never, ever took any lessons and never got around to it. But that's one thing I'd really uh, like to be able to do. I think that's great. I think that's something you could do. I think it really depends on the kind of lessons you get and how you decide to teach yourself. And I think now... You know, you can get yourself a guitar and head onto YouTube and you can find some great uh, instructor instruction videos there that aren't right. going to be boring and all that kind of stuff. And then you can also find a great teacher locally as well and learn how to play songs. I think with guitar specifically, if you learn how to play a song that you already love, as soon as you get those chords down, it feels like you've unlocked something magic, you know? I think you Yeah, should... I've heard a few people tell me that it's really not that hard. It, uh, you just have to know a few chords and you're pretty much on your way, but... I don't know if that's true or not. I think it's totally true. If I'm a, a schmuck like me, uh, Mark can play guitar. The worst part about it is that your fingers hurt for the first week. Apart from that, you can get through that first week and you're golden. Okay, thanks for your opinion. You're very welcome. Good luck, Mark. See ya. So there you go. See, we're just making dreams happen. And we're, making, we're bringing a goodness to this station that has not been here since I don't know when. 
It's just, it's just bringing you happiness. There's like a Paul that's leaving the studio right now. That's just not Polly, but a Paul that's leaving the studio right now. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's a cloud lifted. And I can see the sun coming out. I can't, actually. I can see nothing but white. But I'm trying to be optimistic for you all. I'm being the dad. Basically, what's happening is I'm being the dad for you right now. So we've solved that. And then when we come back, actually, uh, after this, we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, social media. And we've got some amazing guests uh, to chat with as well. Uh, so let's, uh, it's time for a news break. Coming up after the news, we'll chat with uh, Dr., uh, uh, Dr. Jen. And she's going to talk to us about uh, social media. And it's going to be super fun. So stick around. Welcome back to Kitchener Today. If you're listening to this tomorrow, you're wrong. Uh, I'm your host and the only flight attendant who's qualified to fly this plane, Stuart Reynolds or Brittle Star. Um, we're going to talk about social media. Social media is my bread and butter and it's uh, it's been my life. I've essentially lived on and in social media for the past nine years and uh, I want to talk about if it's good or if it's bad. And we've got people, thank goodness we have people smarter than me uh, here to talk about it. And uh, first up, we're going to talk to uh, Dr. Jen Goldbeck, and she's uh, a computer sciences uh, professor at the University of Maryland, and uh, specifically in AI and privacy, and she's got lots of uh, tasty uh, bits of information for us. So I'm going to welcome you on here. So hey, Dr. Jen, how are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for being on. So tell us a little bit about what you do in your background, and then we'll uh, we'll dive into the conversation. Great. Yeah. So I'm a professor. Like you said, I'm a computer scientist. I study social media. Um, I focus on the bad things people do on social media. So uh, I look at Nazis and conspiracy theories and and all the dark places you don't want to go, which gets mentally a little difficult. So uh, right after the U.S. elections in 2016, when everybody was very angry on social media, um, I started an account for my dogs called the Golden Ratio 4. We rescue like special needs golden retrievers. That's nice. And it's this beautiful wholesome corner of social media. <laughs> so I feel like I kind of on on one side, like my intellectual work is in a lot of bad things. And then the other side is creating really beautiful things to make people's lives better. So I kind of straddle the whole world of social media. Well, that's just it. I mean, I think my view of social media is much the same in general as the internet, where it's like it, the internet and social media are the big bad world in your pocket. It's everything. It's everything. There's, it's not just badness that's on social media. It's not just goodness. It's just like the, the regular big old world. Do you sort of feel the same or do you feel there's like a tendency to lean more to bad than good? I mean, I think that's so smart what you said, and it's a point that I try to make a lot, which is, you know, like in, in 2003, 2004, right, when we had like MySpace and Friendster, and there was this new thing called Facebook, yeah. and, you know, the biggest networks had a few million people, you could talk about social media as like, oh, it's like this thing, and what's going on with that, and what is it like, but now social media, I mean, you're just talking about the life, right? Like yeah. Everything in life is on social media. And so like, I, you know, I think it's a good question to talk about is social media good or bad because it really gets us to like, what are the problems and the benefits? But social media itself is just like saying is life good or bad? Like, yeah, yeah. it's both. And, uh, you know, you want to figure out how to make it work in a way for people. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, you're right. As you bring up the point, it used to be with social media that, um, there was a there was a big delineation between real life and social media and and life and uh, that that's totally gone now and that's totally blurred. It's sort of like who you are is basically on social media. There's so many people that I know 
and have met through purely social media. And then when we meet in real life, we just kind of pick up the conversation. It's like there's, it's not like we're like, oh, I can't believe we're finally, I mean, we still say it's, it's nice to meet in person for sure, but it, it's different from where it used to be where you'd meet someone and go, oh, wow, you're a real person. Whereas now it's like, well, of course you're a real person. That's just, that's just the way it is. Do you think it's generational? Totally. I mean, sorry, go ahead. Uh, you know, I, No, I I think that that's a great question. I mean, I I remember back in, you know, 2007 and 8, I had made this really close group of women friends uh, on the Internet. I have trouble in real life as a computer scientist, you might imagine, meeting a lot of women to hang out with. Very male-dominated space. And, man, I mean, I've been friends with these girls for 15 years Mm -hmm. now, and we text each other, and we've talked through divorces and marriages and children and and everything, and when we do end up meeting in person, there's no difference to, like, the people I went to high school with. But it, it was a time that people thought it was really strange. Um, and, you know, I think part of it, on one hand, can be generational, but I think it really plays out more to just, like, how comfortable are you with technology? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm in my 40s. I have friends who are in their 50s and 60s who are just as comfortable because they like technology and they'll get in there and do it. Right. That was like a personal um, attack, by the way, Jen. That was like, I'm in my 50s. That was like a personal <laughs> attack on me. <laughs> I mean, you seem to be doing a really good job. <laughs> I was just fishing for a compliment. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I find it interesting as well. Like uh, I've noticed there's a difference between uh, our sons, when we started doing social media, they were 11 and 14. And that was a, it didn't see, it seemed like an inconsequential difference in age at the time. But their experience on social has been so radically different. Um, is there a breakdown in age experience? Like I, I found like when our youngest son, because he was 11, he kind of just grew up. Like his first video he ever posted on YouTube, he was six years old, which is really speaks to how terrible our parenting is. But at the same time, he really enjoyed <laughs> it. And we didn't show his face like that was somehow going to protect him. Um, and then, you know, when he was 11 and we really got into it as a full-time job and we were working as a family, he... Uh, kind of just grew up in that world, whereas our 14-year-old had already kind of entered adolescence and was like, oh, now I have to like adjust to like everybody seeing everything I'm doing. Do you think there's like an age, do you think, that's, do you think that age difference happens anymore? Do you think the kids now, who, kids who are 11 or 14 now rather, either they're just, they're, they're already in on it and it's fine and they don't have to worry about it and they've got, they're much more savvy, do you think? I think that's true. And in fact, I think it's true even um, for kids who don't use a lot of social media. Mm-hmm. So uh, I got married a few years ago. My husband has a, a daughter who's now in college in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never mom to her, but I kind of saw her grow up through those middle years into college now. And she was never a big social media user, right. never posted content, very rarely checked on people. But she's still incredibly comfortable with that technology and gets it. Where, like, if you look back, of you know, say, 10 years, uh, and it was a new thing that was coming out, you definitely could have that kind of phenomenon that you're talking about where, you know, kids who are 14 would be like, oh, well, this is like a new thing, and mm. now everybody can watch this, and they're going to make a big deal about it. Where just being a few years younger, it's like, well, everybody does this. Like, of course. Right. So so I think now, you know, you look at kids now and even if they're not big users, they've just sort of gotten used to the fact that everybody's able to post content all the time really easily and make it look pretty good yeah. if they want to. So it, it doesn't seem as weird. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think back there's a uh, there's a video on YouTube that was uh, made in 1987 and it was by a guy who was in a, in a year older than me in high school and he filmed 
the last day of school on this like huge Betamax recorder at the time and then uploaded it maybe about like 10-ish years ago. And it's been fascinating to watch. And it's, it's hilarious because people sort of use it as a time capsule of what's happening in, in the 80s in a high school, certainly in Canada anyway. Um, and uh, what's interesting to me, though, is that the amount of people that he comes into a room with and people run away from the camera. And I don't think that happens anymore. I think people are just sort of accepting the fact that they, ha- they lead this life that is being recorded and captured and somehow, you know, commodified. Do you think that's the case? Absolutely. And, you know, I had a parallel experience, uh, you know, a little bit after you did in the 90s in high school. Another personal attack, Um, Jen. Thanks. I thought we were friends. (laughs) Uh, I had an audio recorder, I think, inspiring journalist, me, and and would go around, you know, making what now would be podcasts, I think, with my friends and, and had that experience where some of them would be like, no, like, turn that thing off, even though I was very clear that it was on. Right. Like by the standards now, right. be like, hey, let's record this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we're all just used to it. And, and we also have learned and I think this is really important. We've learned how to have the conversation about not doing it. Right. right? So like you're coming over to my house for a party. Don't put any of this on social media. Don't talk about it. Like that's not a conversation we would have had, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, please don't record any of yeah. this. It's, it's now sort of assumed, and we know how to talk about not doing it. Yeah, I think it's it's actually last night we were out for dinner with my sister. It was her birthday yesterday, and I had posted uh, on Instagram a picture of her when she was like about maybe a year and a half, just under two years old. And then a picture of her and I um, from just a few years ago. And uh, I took a picture of her at dinner. And the first thing she said as soon as I pulled my phone up was like, you're not posting this on social. Like, it's just not happening. And it's now, the, it's now the caveat as opposed to like, you know, don't take that picture of me where it's like, wait a minute, you can take the picture, but as long as you don't actually share it with the world, that's the main thing. That's the main thing. Right. Yeah. Is there... Absolutely. Is there, uh, like, in your sort of, a, when people ask you if, the, if social media is good or bad, like, what's, what's your answer to that question? I mean, apart from saying it's good and bad, is there, I mean, there, are there caveats? Are there things of like, we have to kind of, you know gird yourself when you sort of put yourself out there? Is there any sort of advice you have for people going into social media? I mean, I, yeah, I, I see social media is good, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can look at things, I mean, a, you know, easy example to look at is, say, Ferguson in the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement. My husband and I were just having this conversation mm-hmm. where, you know, we've been looking at all this disinformation and conspiracy theory and, you know, the trucker convoys and and he was saying, like, gosh, it would be great if there were just, like, a trusted person like you used to have with the news in the 70s right. and 80s who could give people the right information. I'm like, yeah, but, like, they sucked if you weren't a white guy. Like, I remember being <laughs> exactly. shaping at watching TV with the way that women were presented. You look at, say you look at TV in the, you know, the 80s and the way that, like, the crack epidemic was presented, the way that, like, any issues around the black community were presented. Um, it was terrible. So, mm-hmm. like, it's, that's not what we want. And now you look at something like Black Lives Matter. If you put that in the 80s, you put for the Ferguson protests and, and everything after that, they would have pre- been presented in an entirely different way. But the fact that people are able to upload their own video, to share their voices, to show what's going on, it gives power into the hands of people who traditionally didn't have it, who are, who are then given a voice. And I think that's been amazingly powerful and good, you know, on a higher level, just the fact that we're able to connect people 
from all over the world into communities that are life-changingly beneficial is great. At the same time, like, of course, there's bad stuff. And, and I think what that really comes down to is, as individuals, we want to think about how we do this because we're still not very mature in using yeah. it in the right way. But then, you know, you also want to have rules, just like we have in offline life. And uh, and it's where things get kind of lawless and sort of free speech absolutist on social media that we see a lot of the, the really objectionable things where we feel like, hmm, maybe that's that's a bad thing that's happening with this. Right. Well, I think that's sort of the balance. You're right. I think that, you know, I think back to like, uh, you know, when, when the Rodney King um horribleness happened Mm -hmm. uh you were probably you'll tell me you were a toddler then that's fine jen go ahead um (laughs) but uh i think you know think back to that happening and how horrible it was but one of the things that came out of it was the idea of like let's let's get every let's give everybody a video camera let's give everyone a video camera so they they can like be testimony you know testament to these things they can actually be witness to what's happening and tell the actual stories that are happening which i think is so important However, the other side of that, of course, or the tipping point has happened, I think, where you've got so much, as I'd call it, like junk food for thought, where you get so many sources of information uh, and you're relying on social media for your news, you're relying on Facebook for what's happening in the world, and it gets really, really uh, mud. The the waters get very, very muddied, and it's hard to tell what's good and what's bad, and and you end up sort of going to the, the path of least resistance, the junk food, as it were. Um, is there like, do you think there's, is there any, cause one of the things I always say about that is that, you know, I, I, you're exactly, as you said, I long for the days when there was like very few sources of news. Cause then you kind of, at least you felt like you were getting the right news. Of course, unless you weren't white <laughs> and then you were like, I don't know if we're getting the real story. <laughs> uh, so I think there's, is there a way to go back? Is there a way to sort of either regulate social media? Is it like, should we be even thinking about that kind of thing? Or should we be thinking about how, you know, the information is shared? Should news companies be regulated? What should happen? Do you think? That's a big question. Yeah, I mean, it's such a great question. <laughs> There's like a whole dissertation's worth yeah. of answer to that. Um, look, I mean, on one hand, I don't see a space where you can be like, this sort of thing is okay, and you can post that, and this can't. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, there, you still can have rules, right? And, and one of the places, you know, over the last, like, two years that I've been so frustrated is that all the major social media platforms have rules about what you're allowed to say and what you aren't. And they're right. very reasonable rules. Like you can't threaten violence. You can't try to make people die. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can't outright like lie kind of fraudulent libelous things. And they don't enforce those rules, right? right? And we've seen them. If you look at the insurrection here in the U.S., right, that's when Trump got deplatformed, like on the day of the insurrection on January 6th. The, what it was like on Twitter up until that day and what it was like after that day is profoundly different mm-hmm. because they finally enforced that rule and didn't just take down Trump's account, but, you know, thousands and thousands of other accounts that were parroting the same kind of disinformation. And it completely changed how that kind of content was shared. So we know that, like, there's power in just enforcing those rules. Mm-hmm. The companies have been so hesitant to do that. And I think that's a space where, you know, we can avoid a lot of the kind of free speech the like all the really complicated right. issues and say these are reasonable these rules that you have set up there's platforms that don't have those rules but people want to be on platforms with some rules nobody wants to be on 4chan right? yeah exactly yeah uh so big platforms have rules enforce the rules and you know governments across the world can hold them to those rules because it's the contract they'd agreed to and it's a space where i think we don't you know skipping regulation, all the complicated things, that will make life a lot better on social media if we just get those rules enforced. 
One question I have for you as well is uh, people sort of raise this every now and then is that uh, everybody should be verified on social media. Every account should be like driver's license or ID or passport verified so there's accountability. Do you think that would think that's a good idea or a bad idea? I, I think it's a really dangerous idea. Mm-hmm. I know the impulse for it, mm-hmm. right? Um, we say, oh, people who are anonymous post all kinds of terrible things. But uh, if you've read comment sections of newspapers where people are verified, they post yeah. all sorts of terrible things where their information, there are a lot of verified accounts on social media who post all sorts of terrible things. Um, you know, that said, like, I get the argument that anonymity allows people to do some things that they wouldn't have to. Right. But if we look at the good things on social media, right, what are the really good social changes that have come about from it? It's giving a voice to people who are in positions often of great danger for speaking out, whether that's people in Russia who are speaking out against the government now who would be arrested mm-hmm. if they did that mm-hmm. to, you know, say you're a trans Muslim kid in rural Alabama. Mm-hmm. How many people do you have that you can talk to there? And if your community, if one of many of your community finds out that you are any of those things, you are going to have problems, but you need to be able to connect to people and talk about that and find your way in the world and requiring verification for that puts people at huge risk. So, you know, I see it as something that's not necessarily going to solve any problems, but that creates so much danger for people uh, if you actually enforce it. Right. So it's more about sticking to the policies and realizing that these platforms are uh, private companies. I mean, as much as like, I mean, of course, in the U.S., it, it's uh, freedom of speech. In Canada, it's freedom of expression and uh, essentially the same idea. But that idea that, that, that Twitter and Facebook and Instagram are all just, they're just private companies. Like, that's just it. Um, just, and they can set whatever rules they want, essentially. Um, so I think it's really important to keep that idea that social media, provided everyone plays within the rules, and provided there's some corporate, almost like corporate responsibility, maybe? Is that what I'm thinking of? Is that basically sort of those policies, do you think? Or I think so. And there's, there's like a pure capitalist argument for this if you want to make it, right? Which upsets the people who are like, all speech should be free and unregulated and no one can tell me what to do, which is like, okay, yeah. those platforms are out there. There's plenty of places you can go and say whatever you want, no matter how disgusting or objectionable it is. Um, and then there's platforms that are going to have rules that say you can't you know, we see this now with major social media platforms. Some let you post porn and some don't, right? You can right. put porn on Facebook. You can put it on Twitter. Right. Um, if you're really concerned about running into that, you'll avoid one of those platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, so let people pick which one they want to be on. The one where you can say absolutely anything or the one that has some rules. We know the ones that people go to already. Um, they're not flocking to those absolutely lawless places on purpose because they're unpleasant places to be and you just end up with a lot of people who want to say things to piss people off. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I think the whole pulling the government into this, it's, it's as maddening for me as I think it is for you that like they're <laughs> private companies and they can do what they want. <laughs> exactly. And then like, let's let them compete on those rules and, and we know who's going to win, which is that, you know, there's a little bit of decorum in force. Exactly. I'm just going to get you to hang on there, uh, Dr. Gilbeck, as uh, we're going to talk some more. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. 
Hey there, welcome back. It's Kitchener Today. I'm Brittle Star, or Stuart Reynolds, if you're my mom. And uh, we're talking to Dr. Jen Goldbeck about social media, and she's been a, uh, just a wealth of knowledge about social media, which is fantastic if it's good or bad. And uh, what I'd like to find out from you is uh, if you'd like to call in to tell us uh, how you feel about social media and what's great, what's not great. One of the problems I have, and I'll ask you, Dr. Goldbeck, about algorithms as well, which uh, you can think of. But we're going to listen to Jason here, see what Jason has to say. Uh, Jason, you're on the air. Uh, and Yeah, you should be on the air now. Yeah. So, hi, Jason. How you doing? Hi, hey, I'm doing good. I think social media is a good thing because mm-hmm. it gets people's voices out there that wouldn't be heard. Yeah, there's going to be some that maybe we would rather not hear, but I don't think there should be any silence. I think there's already too much censorship on it because mm-hmm. I remember like over the last two years, you'd see posts being taken down or being flagged as misinformation because right. they said that they believed the case, the virus came from a lab leak. And now they're, now the main story is, well, it probably did come from that. Like, mm. So by having other people's voices out there, then it uh, kind of forces, uh, I don't know, like if the government's pushing misinformation, then uh, if everybody's going against it, it kind of puts that out there and forces uh, forces them to deal with it. Because uh, right now in Russia, who would be tr- in charge of saying what's going on? Right, It'd exactly. Be, uh, yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think that's great. I think that's uh, a really good uh, angle that Jason had there. Um, I think there we go. Dr. Goldbeck's back on. Um, yeah, I mean, that idea of making sure that the information can flow easily uh, to people. And a question I have for you, Dr. Goldbeck, is um, about algorithms. Uh, I think that uh, Jason touched briefly on the idea of posts being, you know, tagged or removed or whatever automatically. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that I think it's very rarely that it's an actual person that's taking those posts down. It's usually a, a, some sort of, you know, algorithm or, 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 you know, AI. Essentially, it's taking it down. How do you feel about algorithms in general? I mean, I build them, so I think there's something good. Oh, it's together. you. No, I'm um, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of it is me, and I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to support. Um, but, yeah, you know, I'm, uh, look, I mean, let's pick the most objectionable content. Like child mm-hmm. pornography, sure. right? Illegal. No platforms are hosting that. Um, the volume of child pornography that attempts to get uploaded, whether it's, you know, onto social media or even into just like cloud devices, right, to get traded around within mm-hmm. these rings is huge. There's no way a human could no, you're right. go through your cloud files looking for child porn. Um, and, you know, we can extend that to any kind of content, animal abuse. We don't want that showing up on platforms. How do we identify that? One, we don't want to make people have to look through everything. And two, there's just so much. So for content moderation, your only choice is to have artificial intelligence algorithms somewhere in that process. And then ideally you want some humans involved also because AI is going to get it wrong a lot. But I I think it's a a necessary part. And the, the question is, how do we figure out to use them like in a way that's fair and equitable and accurate. Awesome. That's great. Listen, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Goldbeck. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad you were so much smarter than I am about this and uh, have an amazing (laughs) day. And younger. Listen, come on, come on. That's the last time you'll be on this show. Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right, now we're going to uh, time for a news break. Coming up after the news, we're going to talk to uh, Aaron Reynolds, no relation to Ryan Reynolds, uh, which both his bank account, Aaron's, and my bank accounts will be testament to the fact that we're not related to him. Uh, and it's going to be really great. But you're, we're listening to Kitchener today. It's City News 570. 
Welcome back to Kitchener Today on City News 570. Kitchener Today, if you're listening to this tomorrow, how'd you do that? I don't know how that works. It's Kitchener Today. Um, we've been talking about social media, if it's good or bad. We were talking to, um, uh, to Dr. Jen uh, Goldbeck beforehand, and now we're going to talk to a different guy. We're going to talk to a guy named Aaron Reynolds. No relation to me whatsoever. No relation to Ryan, as far as I know. Uh, and uh, I'm going to get him on the phone here. Here we go. I think, he's, I think he should be live now. Is he live? Is he? I, don't, I can't tell. Are you there, Aaron? Uh, there, there you go. Are you there? I'm here. Fantastic, Aaron. Thanks so much for joining us. So, Aaron Reynolds, uh, for those of uh, you who don't know, again, we're not related, as far as I know. You're not related to Ryan Reynolds either, either, are you? No, I'm not related to any of the famous Reynoldses. It's really depressing. Well, I'd count you as one of the famous Reynoldses, I think. You know, I think with your work with F and Birds, uh, people on social are probably very familiar with F and Birds. It's uh, uh, basically you've taken the world, the aviary world, and uh, applied uh, profanity. And I think that's a winning ticket. Yeah, it's it's been surprisingly surprisingly popular for such a simple idea. <laughs> so when did you start uh, doing the F and Birds uh, comic? Like, the, I, can I call it a comic? What do you call it? What's the best description I, of it? Yeah, I have a hard time figuring out what to call it. Um, I I usually call it a comic because I I like run it every day. It's like a one panel comic strip. So, right. Yeah, I think that's I think that's you know accurate. And how long have you been doing it? doing it? Pardon me. How long have you been doing it? Oh, uh, since 2017. Right. So uh, we're just about to hit five years. Five years of a daily comic. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of F-bombs. Yeah. That's the kind of thing some of the callers to this radio station would probably love. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, before that, like, what were you doing before 2017? What, what was the impetus for starting this? Well, so I, for a long time, I worked for a, a big technology company. And I started doing and Birds after I had, I had like a, a health scare and I couldn't work for three or four months. Right. And I realized that I, yeah, that I, I wanted to do more things for me, you know, and more things that were like, I had popped out in my career at that company and it was comfortable and, you know, I could probably have done it forever, but I wasn't going to go anywhere else mm-hmm. beyond where I was. And I, I just, I, I realized that like, I liked making jokes and I missed making jokes and I hadn't hadn't really been doing anything like that with any regularity, you know, since my high school newspaper. Right. <laughs> so yeah. So I, I, I started I started getting back into a few different things and F and Birds was like the third or fourth thing that I tried. And um, some of the other things that had become popular, one of them's the swear track and it sort of like it blew up pretty big and I I wanted to make something that was more, you know, I wanted to make something that didn't rely on somebody else's intellectual property mm-hmm. because, you know, you can't, I couldn't make any money off of Swear Trek because CBS and Paramount would probably <laughs> But you just went after the birds who aren't smart enough to have their own trademark and copyright. That's good. That's a- that's exactly it. That's exactly it. That's very. Has your experience on social media been nothing but good? I mean, it's kind of hard. I can't. I can't imagine someone uh, angrily responding back to a comic of a swearing bird. I find that hard to fathom. Do people do that? You, you would think that that wouldn't happen, but it happens <laughs> so often. <laughs> I think I, a lot of it's the double-edged sword of uh, like one of the reasons that I think F and Birds is popular is that it is very. Uh, relatable, and I keep it relatable by keeping everything just the littlest bit vague. Yeah, you know, like a little bit like not specific. And so, when 
everybody is free to read whatever their life situation is into the comic. People will read situations into it and then get angry at those situations. Yeah. If I didn't like, you know, intend them to be there. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that happens. That happens pretty often. But also sometimes I just say things and people get mad at me. <laughs> I, I was in England uh, for the, the launch of my second book at my, at my UK publisher and I had a hard time in London finding good coffee. And I tweeted that uh, <laughs> I suspected that British people made coffee by setting an ear of corn on fire and then putting it out in a cup of water and then serving you the water. And this man named Tim was so angry. And he, he replied, uh, Americans have only had civilization for 100 years and they think they've invented everything. I was like, First of all, Tim, I'm not American. How dare you? But also, like, I don't have to have invented something to be to be critical of it. Plus, did you think it was you were being serious about it? Like, you that was your actual, like, your guess at how they made the coffee? Like, how dare you? We would never do I that. Think, I think he was just offended on behalf of British coffee, which I don't think, like, when I made that joke, I mean, it really did taste like burnt corn. It all did. <laughs> Uh, but I, I wasn't thinking like, oh, I'm offending a nation here. Because, right. Like, Do British people really care? How <laughs> dare you? Of, yeah, exactly. That's hilarious. So do you find like... <laughs> No, God forbid. Um, I think uh, one of the weird things about social media, and we're talking about if social media is good or bad, and I think it's kind of both, uh, but one of the weird things I think social media allows people to do is to hate follow uh, people. Like to, and I, that's hate follows like sounds like a very strong term, but that's just like the, the common term I think people would use to describe it. The idea that people are going to follow an account just to be angry at it for something they post later. And uh, it's oh, yeah. fascinating to me. Like, do you get any of those two? Do you get, like, repeat people who are like, this is garbage. Why did you do this? Do you get that kind of thing? Yeah. I actually had a PR guy um, who kept, like, he kept saying how much he disliked <laughs> the, the cartoon. And I was like, well, you know, like, we're not obligated to read it, you know? And, and, and like, I, I, I don't ever get upset at somebody not liking something that I made because I – Humor is so subjective. Yes. Right? Like, sure. stuff that I know is, um, I don't want to say, like, is empirically good. But I mean, things that are popular that lots of people like that I don't find funny. Yeah. And I know that that's not because it's not funny. Mm -hmm. It's because it's not funny to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny to somebody else and somebody else loves it. So, like, I don't need to go around saying that, you know, this other thing that I don't like is bad or yeah. wrong or in the case of uh, Ed, the PR professional, uh, low effort garbage. <laughs> wow. Referred to my cartoon. That's great. We put it on the back cover of the second book. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's perfect. I think yeah. it, just, it just sort of it just smells like jealousy to me, if you ask me. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting, though, because like people will do that. And I, and I like, why do you think people will do that? Like, why would you keep? I always think it's like if you're PVRing a show that you hate just to like be angry. Like why would, why do you, why do people feel compelled? I know that there's part of social media that uh, we've been trained to engage. We've been trained to, and I say trained, not like officially formally trained, but I mean, just by using social media, you get rewarded for liking things. There's this little animation. There's, you get rewarded for commenting on things. So you sort of feel part of something. Um, but why, why do you think people waste their time consuming things they don't want to consume? Well, I think, 
that there's sort of like a there's a halfway in there because um, I, I think about it like um, uh, Star Trek fans mm-hmm. uh, because nobody hates Star Trek mm-hmm. as much as a Star Trek fan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like I think that a lot of these people who are very angry about a TV show or a piece of culture, you know, and who talk about how much they hate it, but they keep watching it. Yeah, like, I think they do like it in some way mm-hmm. and, or they want to like it more than they like it. But there's something about it that, that compels them to keep watching. So I think there's some of that in there. I, I you know, I like to tell myself that <laughs> <laughs> you must've had like tons of really great comments though. Like you must've had tons of people who have said that your stuff has gotten them through or helped them a little bit. Surely that happens. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, one of my favorite conversations was actually at the, um, at the kitchen library Oh wow! Um, where local uh, reference, I like the, it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, was a, it was probably the best stop on that book tour, and I feel super upset that we didn't record the the Q and A because, mm-hmm. like, I I loved it, but we kept diving into like the idea of um, not exactly therapy because our catchphrase of the evening was uh, "Do not use FM birds as a substitute for therapy," <laughs> but like it was just like. Knowing that somebody else feels the same way as you about something mm-hmm. feels feels good. You know, mm-hmm. it helps you feel not alone in your frustration or anger or something like that. And so, you know, I like to I like to feel like I'm helpful in that way. But you know, at the same time, uh, I I once did a panel, a social media panel called, um, and I was very proud of this title, um, "How to Feel Good About Contributing to the Downfall of Civilization." <laughs> That's perfect. Like, I feel like I feel like we are kind of doing that. Like, I do feel like that all these social media platforms are because of the way that they prioritize engagement. Mm-hmm. They prioritize us having strong emotions, and that often translates to us having strong, super negative emotions. Yeah, and yeah, and so I think yeah, that I, I think I think that's very 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 true. I think that that you're right. And uh, I'm sure Dr. Golbeck would have a probably more insight as to the AI aspect of tracking those types of responses and engagements. But certainly I have found, like we referred to uh, earlier in the show about a video I did called Explaining Canada Day to Americans. And it's me as, a, as Canada talking to America over the fence in the backyard. And uh, that video it came out in 2017, but every year it gets like three to six million brand new views. And it's largely because... Uh, People argue in the comments. They just get they get all angry and and froth mouthed in the in the comments for whatever reason. And then the algorithm uh, on Facebook specifically looks at that and goes, "Well, people must be really into this. Let's spread it around." Which is lovely for me. I mean, I mean, my notoriety goes up, which is awesome. Um, but at the same time, I think that can't be good for people. Like that notion of uh, you know negative engagement doesn't seem to be weighed the same as like good engagement. Like I think, how do you feel about the, like, does it matter? Do comments matter to you? Do comments or, or that type of thing matter to you? Well, I mean, they do matter to me from like, as you say, the, the, the algorithmic part of it. Because mm-hmm. I, I write a daily comic that I give away for free mm-hmm. and I make money when people buy the book or buy merchandise related to it. Mm-hmm. And so the bigger an audience, every comic gets, the better for me. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of hard to square that with the fact that, you know, and, and I don't think it's on purpose. Like I do think that it's entirely accidentally that they, 
that these platforms have, you know, prioritized the negative interactions. It's just because that's what it's what happened, and they saw interactions, and without a human looking at them, they can't tell a positive interaction from a negative interaction. Right. You know what I mean? And so, like, I think it's all accidental, and it's frustrating to to be in a place where, you know, I would love to have more comments on something, but also know that that's like a, it's a little bit of monkey's paw there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. I mean, I view. I mean, I have a view on comments um, that is. Uh, very much like they're they're worthless. The comments are worthless in a sense. Uh, I love the nice comments. I think nice, lovely comments are lovely, and it's really, really great. But as a content creator, you scroll through, or it doesn't matter, like any kind of content creator, whether or not you're doing it as a full-time gig like I am, or if you're just like creating content, you're just doing user-generated content for fun, and that's great. That's wonderful and has a place, and it's important too. Um, and that sounded condescending. It wasn't condescending at all, honestly. I was <laughs> actually being truthful and sincere when I say that. Um, because it's so important for everyone to sort of share their story and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, there's nothing worse than when you post something and you see some lovely comments. You're like, wow, people are commenting. That's really great. And you get down and there's like a sucker punch if someone points out, well, what's wrong with your head or something? You know, something really yeah. weird or that type of thing. Or why did you do that? Or this is, you know, low effort garbage, as they said, you know, to you. And I always feel like the comments are sort of worthless in the sense that if I was watching The Office on Netflix or something, and someone at the, I, w- I don't need to know that some dude in Idaho thinks this is the favorite episode. Like, I don't care. That, mean, that means sure. nothing to me at all. Are comments like, how, what's your view on comments in general? Well, I, I tend to not read them mm. if, I, if I can help it. I mean, I read my replies on Twitter. Mm. Um, I actively don't read my replies on Facebook uh, mm-hmm. because they're just a cesspool. I do have <laughs> someone that I pay a good amount of money to patrol them. Oh, wow. Flag the garbage for me. So yeah. I can delete it and ban people. But I don't want to, I don't want to go in there and read them because there's never, it's never a positive experience. And, and I think I just had this nightmare while you were describing watching the office with comments. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's a platform that hundred percent, some technology guy wants to make. Of course. Like this live comments along with your favorite shows. Oh, like, oh that sounds like a, just the worst thing I've ever heard of in my life. And somebody's going to get like $2 billion in venture capital or something like that to make that happen. <laughs> and I just, Oh, I, oh yeah. Oh, I'm, like I'm having a physical reaction <laughs> to that idea. That it's so negative. I think that's exactly and, it. I think we've been stuck in this mode of like that engagement is important and that everyone, you know, it's important to find out what people think about everything. And it's like, you know what? It's, sometimes people have a hard time articulating what means, what something means to them, whether it be good or bad or whatever. And, and, and as a consumer, I just don't really need to know what some other person happens to think about a particular piece of content that might mean have tr- a tremendous amount to me. And I don't want them to point out that, you know, look at Michael Scott's hair in this episode of The Office. It's so stupid. Now it's ruined that episode for me. I don't need to know that kind of stuff. Right. I'm just going to yeah. get you to stick around if I could, Aaron. We're just going to uh, uh, take a quick break. And this is Kitchener Today on City News 570. We're back here on Kitchener Today on City News 570. I'm Brittle Star, better known as Stuart Reynolds, and we're talking to Aaron Reynolds, who is uh, the creator of F and Birds, and we're talking about if social media is good or bad. 
And um, I want to find out from you guys if you think social media is good or bad, or if you have a question for Aaron F and Birds as well, it's totally fine too. We're going to take a call from Nathan. But I swear to God, even though if Aaron, uh, even though Aaron makes his living off of uh, off of swearing birds, if you drop the f bomb, we'll drop you. I just want you to know that. I just want you to know that <laughs> up front. Uh, let's see, Nathan, you're on the air right now. Do you have a question? Uh, hey, Bro Star. I don't really have a question. I do enjoy this topic, though. A, you're doing a great job, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I've been taking a break off social media for the month of March, so Mm -hmm. I'm over halfway through now. Uh, Just kind of sick of a lot of the nasty comments that you guys were talking about. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's been a relief. I know not everyone can do it, but sometimes I think a disconnect is uh, good. And when I reconnect, I'm going to take some advice that I've heard here. I'm not going to look at comments. Yes. I'm not going to reply to comments. Yeah, I think that's Even just Even on it. my own page, if I don't like it, I'll just start, you know, blocking them out. None and, of them. Uh, moving on with my day. Exactly. Exactly. Good for you, Nathan. I'm going to go back to Aaron. Thanks for calling in. Um, yeah, it's a, that's a good idea as well. What do you feel, Aaron, about, about taking breaks from social media? I think it's not a bad idea. I think it's a pretty good idea. Oh, I think it's tremendously good for you, but also... My entire business is on social media. So <laughs> that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> yeah. You can take a break, but, but not too long. <laughs> well, that's it. Because, I mean, I can, I, I often will, you know, schedule, I, I schedule a lot of the cartoons in advance. Um, and so I have, you know, if, if something, if I got hit by a bus mm-hmm. today, um, the cartoon would actually run for 200 odd more days all by itself. Right. Um, but uh, if I, stop like interacting with people when they react to things, then, you know, the the whole, you know, the whole, everything drops and all the popularity of it drops. And so when I go on vacation, I'm very explicitly making less money while I'm away. You know what I mean? Even if I have content all scheduled, ready to go, I'm just like, I have to, I have to accept that on vacation, I will not do as well. And so it's, you know, it's just one of those things where I have to like, have to be okay with it. And then I have to go do it. Yeah. Um, I've like, never quite gotten to like removing Twitter from my phone for yeah. a vacation, but I certainly have gotten to all notifications off for a vacation. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I notifications are off for everything for me, apart from like you know text messages and calls, obviously. But uh, apart from that, I, I mean, I just I can't. I found it was too much. It was too much to be constantly yep. notified and to be and to feel compelled like you had to act and i think that maybe i wonder actually if that's sort of tied to my age and and uh and when i started using social media and the technology itself we were like oh my gosh someone's just said something to me right now i better respond right away and of course that's not I, wonder the- if that, I think we're about the same age and yeah do you think it has to do with like the ringing of the telephone because you had to answer th- the telephone yeah i right? think so i think that's a really astute observation i think that's exactly it i think that's that idea where it's like someone's calling i better answer it right now and it's taken a long time for me to kind of be, I don't have to engage. I don't have to respond. I don't, and it's, I'm not being rude. I'm just sort of, you know, it's almost like self-preservation to an extent. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, I had to, I had to get rid of a, my smartwatch. You know, oh, really? I, I worked, yeah, I worked for a company that like, that made them. So, I mean, I had one for eight years. Yeah. And I was like, after a couple of years of not working there, I was like, I don't have to have this. I don't yeah. have to have this as part of my life. And so first I went to like a much simpler smartwatch that only gave me some specific notifications and not much else. Yeah. And I, I have that and I, I use it 
in like some specific scenarios. It's like my, it tracks exercise for me. And so I use it for that. But like uh, most of the time now, if I wear a watch, I just wear like a good old fashioned mechanical watch right. that wind and it ticks and it tells the time. <laughs> so I think the takeaway for anyone listening right now is that uh, if you feel like you need to take a break from social media, please feel free to do so, except for effing birds and brittle star videos. Other than that, take it, just stop yeah. consuming everything else. That's basically well, the so here, Here's the thing. Here's the thing that I did. Uh, because I I felt bad that people were saying, uh, oh, the only reason that I'm still on Twitter is so that I can read your comic. And the only reason I'm still on Facebook yeah. is so I can read your comic. Yeah. And I, that, that made me feel super guilty. So <laughs> I, I, I paid a lot of money for a text messaging service where if you sign up for it, you just get the comic strip and your text. Oh, yeah, that's smart. And, and then, yeah, and then you don't have to, like, you don't have to go on anything else. Well, there you go. Well, thank you for this. is good tips. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, Aaron. And uh, of course, people can find F and Birds uh, all over social. And uh, just you know, just type in Google "swearing birds." No, I'm done. F and Birds. It'll be fine. Thank yeah, you so much for joining it. us. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Take Thanks care. For having me. Uh, it's time for a news break. Coming out after the news, we're going to talk about the travel industry. This is Kitchener today on City News five seventy. Welcome back to uh, Kitchener Today on City News 570. I'm Brittle Star, better known as Stuart Reynolds to my mom and dad. Um, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff uh, now relating to travel and the travel industry. Um, and uh, it's interesting times right now because as we come out of the pandemic, of course, people are excited to travel, but at the same time, a little, little some trepidation there, if you know what I mean. Um, if you are uh, interested in calling in, I'll give you the numbers because I just realized they're at the top of this sheet of paper that I was handed <laughs> at the beginning of the show. Uh, locally, 519-570-2545. If you're calling from somewhere else, 1-800-570-5715, 1-800-570-5715. Or from your cell phone, star 570. I'm not sure how that works. It sounds like you have to be in 1998 for that to work, but that's okay. Um Let's talk about uh, travel. So we're going to talk, first of all, to uh, John Kastner, who is the uh, GM of the Stratford Perth Museum, uh, of course, home of the Justin Bieber exhibit. John, thank you so much for calling in. Sir, thanks for having me. A pleasure as always. Fantastic. So I was just saying that, of course, you're the GM of the Stratford Perth Museum, which is, of course, home to the Justin Bieber exhibit and uh, soon to be home to the Brittle Star exhibit, I'm sure. Um, I've been sending you stuff. It's mostly out back. I've been treating it sort of like, uh, you know, like one of these textile dumps. I've been just sort of bringing stuff over, waiting for you to create an exhibit around it any day now. It's all cataloged and we're ready on your <laughs> <laughs> How's your experience? One of the things people don't realize when, you know, I say I'm from Stratford, of course, and they know immediately about Justin Bieber, and uh, and they ask me about that, and I say, oh, and then they, they, they find it kind of cute that there's this Justin Bieber exhibit, and they kind of, uh, there's initially sort of like a dismissal almost, like, oh, that's really cute that you've got this little exhibit. It's like, no, but people come from all over the world, do they not? Yeah, and it's like for the museum here, it's been really uh, transformational for us. And uh, we had sort of thought about the exhibit for, you know, for a couple of years. And then uh, through a number of things, the timing was right. In particular, uh, you know, Justin's interest in it and his his willingness to cooperate with it, his grandparents who had a massive collection of things. But I think the best thing to put in a perspective for uh, the layperson or the person who's you know, not really uh, cognizant of what happened at the museum with the Justin Bieber exhibit. I always tell the story that, 
you know, in 2014, the Stratford Prison Museum had about 853 people that year. Wow. That 12-month period. And then we sort of changed our exhibits. You know, we had Shakespeare's first folio, and we had, you know, the Anne Frank House exhibit and the Harper Lee exhibit from, you know, when the festival did Kill a Mockingbird. Mm -hmm. But really, I think, you know, for Family Day of 2018, which is the third the third weekend in February, mm-hmm. uh, I had a call from the custodian at 7 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, and he said, uh, you might want to come out to the museum. <laughs> and I said, uh, okay. Uh, he said, there's people lined up. I said, to get in? And he said, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that day, uh, you know, the, the Sunday of the family day weekend, we had 1,000 people that day. Wow. Um, we did with merchandise and everything. We had a ten thousand dollar day. Oh my gosh! That Sunday, and then we repeat again on the Monday. So, mm. if you think back to 2014, we had 853 people. In 2018, the year that we launched the Justin Bieber exhibit, we had 18,000 people. That's amazing. That's phenomenal. And it's changed everything for us. It's yeah. Cha- it, it changes our ability to do other exhibits. It changes our ability to advertise, to do commercials. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been transformational for us. And then, you know, my good friend David Marskell at, at the museum in Kitchener, I know he's a friend of the stations, and he's a great friend of mine and a mentor. And we always talk about, you know, people like him and I who maybe aren't traditional museum people, how right. we try and reach out to a different demographic. And the Justin Bieber exhibit did that in an afternoon. Phenomenal. It's fantastic. I think that's the idea, of course, is that you need to have uh, a reason to get them in the door uh, and something that's sort of easy to digest, easy to understand what it is, and, and it's got some novelty to it in a sense, right? And that gets them in, and then it gets that whole generation of people interested in museums in general, which is, I love museums so much. Yeah, a guy named Matt Nickel, who's also from Stratford, he used to work at the Stratford Festival, and I knew Matt really well. He's now in charge of North American operations for Cirque du Soleil in wow. Vegas. And Matt said to me, I met him in Vegas, and we talked about this, and he said, this is sort of your musical. Mm-hmm. He said, if the Stratford Festival puts on Rocky Horror, yeah. or they put on uh, you know, West Side Story, it enables them to do all the other things that they'd like to do. Yeah. It, it, it's, the, it's, the, it's the engine room to do all those other things, and that's really, that's really been the case for us. Have you found, uh, obviously, the pandemic hit hard and, and there was lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. Have you found coming out of it as we're slowly getting out of it now or at least adjusting to how we have to live? Um, are you noticing some numbers starting to slowly tick up or are you sort of looking for a good summer or what do you think? Yeah, for us, the pandemic, you know, the pandemic was hard on everybody. Sure. Of course, obviously, museums especially, for sure. But for us... Uh, for a small community museum like us, one of the things that separated us from uh, a lot of similar museums, and I got to tell you, like Lisa McLeod, who was the cabinet minister for uh, for the museum sector, was really cognizant of this, and I talked to her about it many times. Because of the Stratford Festival and the fact that it was shuttered, that mm-hmm. was really difficult for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a normal year, 60% of the people who come to the Stratford Perth Museum from May to October are at the Stratford Festival that day, the oh, day before. Or interesting. The next day. So 60%. Mm-hmm. And then 30% of the people who come to the museum over the course of the year, largely because of the Justin Bieber exhibit, are not from Canada. Mm-hmm. So those two things, the border being closed, the festival being shuttered, was really 
was really difficult. And of course, and then we were closed for 55 of 92 weeks. And so the fact that you're completely shuttered was obviously, you know, very difficult. Mm -hmm. But, you know, here we are. Uh, We opened at the start of, of February and we are in the midst of this week with March break. We are in the midst of a week where we have pre-pandemic numbers. That's amazing. No question. And, um, you know, the fact the weather's the fact the weather's nice today. And as I walk through the museum, I'm saying, hey, how are you? And, you know, where are you from? You know, I'm I'm from Ancaster. I'm from Scarborough. Right. Uh, we're here from Ottawa. And then yesterday he said, hey, how are you? And where are you guys from? We're from Mexico. Oh, wow. We're up here to visit family. We're in Toronto. And five of us drove down to Stratford to go to see the Justin Bieber exhibit. The fact that he's on tour is is a big uptick for us. Um, He's on Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, on on the cover of magazines again and web pages. And uh, it's... Mm. I think that twenty. I think twenty twenty two is is going to be an excellent year. So you feel like coming out of the pandemic, people are just they're they're gung ho and they really want to get out there and and start traveling and seeing stuff again. You sort of. And I think particularly regionally and provincially, like, right? Um, you know, you and I. I mean, I don't travel like you do. You know, like but like a globetrotter <laughs> like you. But I mean, for me, as I say. You know, am I ready to go to a New York Yankees game? Right. Am I ready to mm-hmm. go to Disney? Uh, do I feel like going to Mexico, mm-hmm. Spain, and now Europe? You know, do I feel like going to Europe now? Ooh. Yeah. So, so all of a sudden, <laughs> we've got these sort of what I call two-hour, you know, two-hour visitors, and we're going to see people here from, you know, the other side of Toronto and Belleville and Barrie and. And then our big, our biggest for us is, you know, is three one three and two one two area codes. So mm-hmm. we're going to see people from Buffalo and up in and Michigan and those areas that were really the core of our international visitors before. And based on our online sales, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, that's exciting news. I mean, that's great. Do you think there's a difference in age? Uh, meaning, like, I know exactly what you're saying. That trepidation of looking at some events, like I'm supposed to be at two events in the UK. Uh, in June, and I'm really looking forward to them. But there's also a part of me that's kind of like, okay, I don't know how to navigate that properly yet. I don't know, like, am I am I just going to be masked the whole time? Is am I going to like? Is do I need to do that? Should I do that? I should probably do that. And that sort of nervousness. Whereas our our sons who are 20 and 23, and certainly our youngest son is kind of like, you know, we just have to move on and be smart and just I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do things and go places. Do you notice a difference in ages at all? In, in yeah. Sort of- if- for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've had really we've had really good luck at at the museum with uh, things like masking and up until up until last week where we required proof of vaccination. Mm-hmm. But we've had very little pushback or even questioning or anything. And a lot of it is because we might have a different demographic than other museums. We might we might be a little younger. Right. But by the same token, um, those those people are at university. Uh, they're maybe in restaurants, they're in sort of different social settings, mm-hmm. and they don't sort of have that apprehension that, um, you know, somebody, you know, my age or your age might say, you know, I was going to go away on holidays a couple of weeks ago when we were planning things. I said, okay, well, when we get to, uh, you know, we get to California, for example, mm-hmm. are we going to go to concerts? Are we going to go to, you know, are we going to go to ball games? Are we going to go do things like that? And you said, 
well, I'm all for going to someplace warm. I'm not. I'm not sure I'm ready to go to a rave yet. (laughs) (laughs) But our believers that come here, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of like they all they're all masked, Mm -hmm. you know. And when we were asking for vaccination proof, they were all had that. Sure, but they are a little more comfortable in their own skin. I think. Right. Right. And what's your what like? What's your personal uh, view as like a, of like? Are you itching to get back out there and do stuff? Or are you just sort of really tempering that notion with I want to go there, but I don't know if I want to go to that while I'm there. Well, I get uh, two weeks ago. You know, there's a really good uh, real life example. Is uh, two weeks ago went down to uh, some meetings in Toronto, mm-hmm. and then uh, went with a group of about half a dozen people to Ripley's mm-hmm. uh, to the aquarium. Absolutely fantastic place. Absolutely packed. Sure. Absolutely packed. It was it was shoulder to shoulder, and I I'm too young to have been at Woodstock, mm-hmm. but it had to be similar for you know the the density of people there. Right. And I left there and I thought, you know, you're okay on the subway, you're okay on the Up Express, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't mind walking there. I I was going to Ripley's. I thought, holy cow. Yeah. If I. Uh, if I don't get COVID here, I'm not going to get it anywhere. <laughs> You're in invincible. World. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I've either had it or I'm completely immune if I don't come out of here with COVID. It's funny. I've I've felt the same. It's funny that that, that exact location about uh, in Ripley's the aquarium there in Toronto, um, where they've got the little tunnel thing you walk through underneath and you can see sharks swimming over your head and stuff. And like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if I'm ready for that kind of a contained space. Yeah, and as I walk through there, there's a there's a moving sidewalk, mm-hmm. and there's a sign that says, uh, you know, keep six feet apart. <laughs> um, the lineup to get on that moving sidewalk was, I don't know, 100 feet long. Sure. So the separation between people is probably six inches. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you're, as you're all sort of packed on there, and then I just thought, well... And, uh, you know, I don't know if you if you arrive at that point in time gradually mm-hmm. or if it's thrust upon you or it's a conscious thing. But I sort of said, I guess we're done. I guess <laughs> I guess we're done with the, with the, the spacing. And, you know, I don't see a person standing, you know, in it's theirs and turning, say, hey, 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 you're too close. Yeah. I yeah. thought this is we're done here because if there was certainly no trepidation there. But to your question for me personally, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I guess we're done. It's hard because I think there's going to be an adjustment period there for sure. And you're right. There's sort of a, I, I, actually the, the the woman who cuts my hair, uh, shout out to Josie, because um, she does a great job, obviously. Um, yeah, <laughs> but she uh, had said to me, you know, when things were opening up again and she went to some event and she was like, the the most concerning thing was that you go and you're nervous to do these things and to be in these different places and stuff. And then you get there, and then within about sort of 10 minutes, you're like, you kind of forget. You kind of forget all about all the stress and the trepidation. You're kind of like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's still it's still a pandemic. It's still happening. Yeah. Um, so it'll be a really interesting thing. Now, I want to ask you, one of the fun things about travel is that, uh, um, for example, yesterday, my wife and I had to go to Ikea twice, uh, which is really bordering on masochism um and uh we went to ikea in the morning to pick up something and then had to go back again to return a different item uh which was the whole plan 
And but what was funny is we got there, we went to the little cafeteria thing. We're like, we didn't really want to eat there. We're like, well, let's say the prices are really good. This is fun. Let's just have a little quick bite here, and then they'll be good for us. So we had a, a bite there, but I was all like excited because there was people I didn't know. I was in a place I don't normally go to, and I was really really excited. And what I was thinking is the thing I, I miss about you know when like pre-pandemic and and when travel was much more you know prevalent is that people do some weird stuff when they're not at home. They do some, they, when they're not in their hometown, when they feel a little less obligation to be accountable and all that sort of weird thing. What are some of the weird things people have done at the museum? Well, the, the big thing for us is with the Justin Bieber exhibit, we've, we built a, uh, a, a selfie spot. Right. So it is the front steps. I think you did your radio show there. Yeah, we did, yeah. Show, yeah. Uh, you know, so you've got the front steps of the Avon Theater, and you've got a cutout of Justin Bieber. <laughs> well, it's not on. Well, I shouldn't say it has. Over the past couple of years, that we've here. It's not unusual to find things uh, on that cutout. You know, when <gasps> at the end of the day. So, oh a, dear, a bra, a, <laughs> a pair of panties. My- <laughs> and, and, my wife wants her bra back, by the way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I meant to drop that off, sorry. And, uh, but it, those are one of the things. And then people who would normally never uh, sort of get together for a selfie absolutely get together for a selfie with that. Mm-hmm. But my absolute favorite uh, conversation about things doing things at the museum or in Stratford you would never normally do because of Justin Bieber is... Uh, It'll be a, this will be a very brief and uh, unpaid uh, shout out to a Stratford restaurant. But mm-hmm. we had a, a couple of items here that we gave to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Right. And it was a couple of uh, sticks that belonged to a guy named Charlie Lightfoot. Mm-hmm. And he was one of the first black players in organized hockey. Mm-hmm. And the Hockey Hall of Fame wanted the stick. So a guy named Craig Campbell and another guy come down from the Hockey Hall of Fame. And... Uh, we have this stick here and we all do that. And they're sort of in their 50s and sort of kids in their 20s. We go to Madeline's restaurant for lunch after the visit to the museum and exchange of artifacts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, do you guys want to sit at Justin Bieber's table? <laughs> and they said, there's a Justin Bieber table. <laughs> I said, yeah, it's in the very front corner. So we head into the front corner. They go, you're lying. And I've known these guys forever. You know, these guys give out the Stanley Cup. Sure. They, they go and they drive, they fly around the world with the Stanley Cup and they give it out on the ice. <laughs> and pretty tough to impress them yeah. as far as life experience. Uh, they said, you're lying. I said, no, for true. Waitress comes over. I said, whose table is this? It's a Justin Bieber. <laughs> and they go, really? I said, why? Well, when he was at Northwestern in high school, he liked to sit at this table. It had windows on both sides. It's in the corner. People would see him. He liked that. They'd come in. They'd join him. It's just Justin Bieber table. I says, okay. Next thing you know, these two guys say, okay. They got their phones out, and they said, can you take pictures of us at this table? I said, you guys give up the Stanley Cup. They said, no, we love that. That is like, can So I take pictures. Two weeks later, two guys show up with their families and their daughters, and they come through the museum. And they get all these selfies taken with the Justin Bieber cutout, and then they all go to Madeline's for lunch. <laughs> and I said, "Wow!" Like, and this is one of those things that um, you know when the custodian calls me at seven o'clock in the morning and said, "There's a whole bunch of people lined up to see the Justin Bieber exhibit in February," 
uh, and it's dark out, and they're lined up before yeah. before daylight. I've often, you know, we did a whole lot of media interviews that time, and you know, the National and CTV News, and uh, you know, the New York Post, and right. everybody was doing interviews about it. And one of the things I was always reluctant to say was, I don't get it. <laughs> but I don't really need to get it. Exactly, <laughs> it exactly. Doesn't, it doesn't matter that I am regularly shocked by things that happen here. Exactly. I'm just going to stop for a quick break. Stick around, John. We're going to be back in a couple of seconds. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Nice. Nice. Well, shout out to the Stratford homeboy himself, Justin Bieber. It's uh, you're listening to Kitchen today on City News 570. I'm Brittle Star, better known as Stuart Reynolds, and I don't have a star on the City's Walk of Fame. Uh, but I'm talking to John Kastner, who's the GM of the Stratford Perth Museum, and the, of course, very world famous Bieber exhibit that's there. And uh, I feel bad I cut you off there before. So if I in, in, next time we talk in person, John, and I just cut you off, just consider it. I'm just a habit, and we we're going to cut to commercial. <laughs> I just want you to right. know that. I have a question for you, though, uh, just as we finish up here with you. Um, my question is, during the pandemic, was there a particular place that you really wanted to go? You were like right in the, the heart of it, in that first year specifically, the end of the first year, where it was kind of like, ah, was there a place you were thinking, man, I wish I could just go there? You know, uh, as you know, I'm a bit of a hockey person. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, and one of the places that I thought would have been would have been absolutely fantastic is if, uh, during the Stanley Cup final to go to the Bell Center right. in Montreal. Yeah. Now, I did go down. I, I went down to Montreal, and we stood outside, and we watched through, watched a bit of a game through a, through a window in a bar, which was goofy. <laughs> and about middle of the second period, I said, okay, well, let's go back to the hotel and actually watch this. But Montreal, I, I thought that that would have been, you know, for yeah. for hockey fans, that would have been you know, one of the best places on the planet. It, and I thought that, that 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 was one opportunity lost, I think. Yeah, for sure. I think that I think during the pandemic the thing that stuck out to me was that those shared experiences you have with people where I'm not a really I'm not a super big fan of other people on the planet, but at the same time, I know there's an incredible amount of joy and a very unique joy you get from being at a sporting event or at a concert or something or at a, a theater production where you're like, Wow, we're all this is a bunch of humans together and we're enjoying each other's company at the same time enjoying the, you know, the game or the show or whatever. And that's the thing that stuck out to me during the pandemic was just, man, I can't wait to get back to that. And hopefully we're kind of on the road back now. You get that sense. And I mean, you know, you, you certainly, you know, you see, you know, we are, we've, you know, we all believe in data, like everybody who's smart believes in sure. data and all that. And I think it's interpretation of data that's maybe subjective. But, you know, as you see numbers climbing in other parts of the world, you go, oh, but then you see that, you know, I just saw some numbers today from Ontario where numbers are climbing, but people in the ICU aren't, and, you know, hospitalizations aren't. And, you know, I've had it, you know, I had it, and yeah. sort of on the couch, and it, you know, with vaccinations and everything, maybe maybe we're through this. And, yeah. uh, you know, you might, people might get sick in a couple of days or maybe a week, but, uh, it's not, I really get the sense that we've maybe seen the worst of it. I sure hope Jeez, so. I hope so. Me too. Thank you so much for joining us, John. I really appreciate it. Stratford Perth Museum, make sure if you're out that way to go check it out. John himself will sign anything that they're selling. He'll sign anything. Um, so now we're just going to stop for a quick break. It's time for a news break, actually. Coming up after the news, we're going to chat with uh, Suleiman Ahmed, uh, who's the co-founder of the No Fly List Kids. More stuff about travel. Uh, you're listening to Kitchener Today.
on City News 570. Hey there, you're listening to Kitchener Today. If you're listening to this in London, it's still okay. It still works. It's the same thing. Kitchener Today on City News 570. Um, I'm Brittlestar, better known to my mom and dad as Stuart Reynolds, and we've been talking about travel. And what I want to find out actually from you guys uh, is where you wanted to go during the pandemic. And now that we're coming out of it, hopefully, Knockwood. I don't know if you could hear that. That's me knocking my skull. Um, where you want to go. Where would you like to go now that the pandemic is winding up? You can call us at 519-570-2545. That's 519-570-2545. If you're calling from far away, you can call 1-800-570-5715. Or you can do star 570 from your cell phone. I've never done that before, I don't think. I wonder if it works. Uh, so, for example, I was saying to uh, John Kastner before we stopped for the break there for news that... Um, during the pandemic, one of the things I really missed was I really wanted to go to a concert. I was really desperate to go to a concert. And it was, it's not something, I'm not a huge concert person. I'm not a big person. To, I don't like per- people to hang out with all the time. I don't like being around a lot of people. Uh, I, I'm really not a very pleasant person. No, it's not true. I'm, I think I'm somewhat of a pleasant person. Brittany's making a face. It's true. I'm very, very pleasant. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I found myself just wanting to have these experiences where we were shared experience, where we were talking to each other. So I want to find out from you, now that we're coming out of it, where do you want to go? For example, I have a trip to the UK coming up in June, and I've got two events, and um, I'm excited about them, but I'm also a little nervous about it as well. Um, oh, hang on a second. Uh, and... Uh, and it's it's going to be interesting. So I want to find out from you if you can call in 519-570-2545. And uh, if, you're ha- if your name happens to be Suleiman Ahmed, if you could please call in as well. <laughs> I've given the wrong number. So hang on a second. I'm going to give a number to Suleiman. And this is how, this is live radio. And this is what happens when you're live radio and you're me. And if you're foolish enough to let me host an episode of Kitchener Today, this is what happens. So don't worry. I see that the that Polly and Brittany are panicking slightly. That's not true. They never panic. And actually, Suleiman's there. And uh, there we go. One second. This is exciting radio, isn't it? I'm supposed to be talking while I'm doing this, but I can't type and talk at the same time. There we go. So Suleiman has the number. Any second now, he's going to talk to us. But we're going to talk to, or waiting for Suleiman to call in. I'm going to talk to Doug and find out where Doug wanted to go and where he wants to go. Doug, are you there? Not yet. Almost. Let's imagine where Doug would like to go. No, Doug's not there yet. Uh, oh, there Hello. he is! Fantastic, I can hear you now. That's great. Hey, Doug, thanks for calling in. So, where do you, where did you want to go during the pandemic, and where do you hope to go now? Well, actually, uh, uh, my wife and I uh, had uh, had before the last lockdown with Omicron uh, happened, when it looked like things were loosening up, we had actually planned uh, to uh, go across. Uh, at Sarnia uh, and go up to uh, Birch Run uh, in Michigan. Right. Um, well, it's uh, it's not far from Frankenmuth, which is uh, uh, which is one place that, that uh, we both like to go because you can spend an entire day right. in the Christmas store there. Of course, yeah. But uh, uh, along with that, and it's something uh, if anybody's ever been to Brenner's in in uh, Brenner's, pardon me, in, in uh, Frankenmuth, 
If they haven't been down the far end of the parking lot, there's a little white building down there. It looks like a lighthouse. Okay. It's called the Silent Night Chapel. Okay. And uh, it's uh, it's always a wonderful place to go because it's quiet. It's uh, it's a tribute to the original, uh, to what, the history of, right. uh, of, the, of that Christmas carol. And uh, it's something people should go and check out because it's been translated into 400 languages. Oh wow! And when you think when you see about where it started and how it spread all over the world, it's uh, it's quite it's quite a story. Um, but anyhow, uh, that was where we wanted we wanted to go. We were there. Years ago, and uh, um, actually, uh, Farwell knows knows me. I I, I do a tribute to uh, to Elvis, and we went down there for a festival, and uh, um, and actually got to stand on the same spot in the stage that Elvis did. Oh, the that's cool. Theater. That's Which great. Was cool. Every, yeah. All of us thought that was great. Yeah. But anyhow, we we found Brunners, and we couldn't go. Uh, and spend enough time there, so we we made plans to go back. And uh, um, of course, all this lovely stuff got in the way, so we haven't been back, and we want to go back in the worst way. So that's the first place we're planning on going. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I hope you have a great time. That's really awesome. Thanks so much well, for calling in. You. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think that's just it. There's always going to be something that uh, people are interested in 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 doing. And and as we went through the pandemic, they kind of heightened that idea of Gosh, I wish I could go there. Uh, next up, we're going to talk to uh, Suleiman Ahmed, who's the co-founder of the No Fly List Kids, and uh, and also I'm just going to bring him on here. Hey, Suleiman, how are you? Hey, Stuart, how are you? That's fine, thank you. You sound. Are you angry because uh, first of all, <laughs> I, I had a problem giving you my phone, the phone number, or your phone number here. But then, secondly, at the beginning of the show, which I'm hoping you weren't listening to, I may have made fun of flight attendants, which of course used to be one as well. Um, it's probably good that that I didn't hear it. So what what I don't know can't hear you. But then again, I probably shouldn't shouldn't make the threat because then I'll end up back on the no fly list, and my kid will. So I'll exactly. So I'll for say no comment. So for people who uh, uh, who don't know, can you give them a quick rundown of what the no fly list kids is? Yeah, sure. So um, years ago. Um, my little guy, when he, when he, when our son Adam was born, um, he was literally six weeks old and he was put on Canada's no fly list. And I'm, I'm not making this up. So what happened was post nine 11, Canada created a, a, you know, a no fly list. So you don't want certain filthy McNasties to board flights, which makes sense. But in their infinite wisdom, they built the, the list only based on name. So if someone named Stuart Reynolds somewhere was doing bad things and anyone named Stuart Reynolds is flagged on the list. So there's no, um, you know, what they call unique identifiers. Right. Birth, social security number, passport number, mother's maiden name. And I know your mom's awesome. She's on social media um, <laughs> uh, with the good Scottish accent. So basically, um, we, we, we imagine for your listeners, if every time you had to travel with your kids, you mm-hmm. had to show up two hours in advance every time. Yeah. Yeah. You can't check online, can't go to the kiosk. So what happened? Finally, was one day, and my wife still gives me a bit of grief for this. We were invited by a by a client to, to, to see the Winter Classic on December 31st, 2015, because we're big Montreal Canadiens fans, right. to see the Bruins. So it was 6 o'clock in the morning, because we were out east visiting my wife's family for Christmas. And um, the agent, again, and it was her own fault of the agent, but she was like, I'm sorry, your son flagged. Mm-hmm. So how do you explain to a six-year-old that he's yeah. on the list? yeah. So when the agent wasn't looking, I turned her screen when she was talking to security to clear my six-year-old, mm-hmm. and I took a photo of her screen that showed him on the list. Right. And I tweeted it out. And, you know, because who's going to look at Twitter at 6 o'clock in the morning on December 31st? Right, exactly. 
turns out a lot of people do. And so my tweet just blew up. We ended up like having three camera trucks, uh, television trucks in front of our house. Wow. And, and it turned out there were actually over 100,000 Canadians who were on the list. All different backgrounds, names, races, religions. Like not just someone who's Muslim or Arab, but Jewish, right. French, Italian, Dutch. Names like Reynolds, Donna Henderson, yeah. Dave Smith, yeah. uh, Dave Matthews, Muhammad Ali. They're all names on the list. So through our advocacy work of a lot of great people, uh, we managed to get the federal government to fix it. It took us four years, so we had to get like two-thirds support of Parliament. You were very helpful. Amber Mack, who's a friend, was very helpful um, on and, and in the advocacy work because we didn't want money. We just want to fix this. Yeah, of course. People's charter rights. Yeah. And then we had to advocate to get $81 million to build a redress system. We had to get a bill passed in Senate. So that's kind of the story. But the long, the short of it is if your viewers, I don't know, we're talking about travel today. If they, if they log in now and they're booking on Air Canada or WestJet and they see a thing called enter your CTN, Canadian travel number, that's mm-hmm. us. Right. That's amazing. So is it, I mean, it has that, that whole experience, first of all, it's, it's just wild that you went through that. And I'm so thankful that you guys did what you did because it would be such a, I mean, it's, first of all, it's a hassle, obviously, mm-hmm. but then of course, yeah. second, you know, secondly, and possibly more importantly though, is that it opens up weird questions. You've got a six year old saying like, why am I on the no fly list? That's true. You know, because it's, of course you're saying there's all different nationalities and ethnicities and all that kind of stuff and different types of names. But I'm sure it didn't skew heavily to, you know, Anglo-Saxon names as well. Um, and I might just be guessing at that as well. So I'd just be really, I'm so glad that you did what you did to, it just seems like something they could have fixed beforehand. So I'm, I'm so thank you for that. But my question for you thank is you. this, uh, yeah. is did it put you off travel at all? Like did, did that whole experience make you go, oh, are we, are you just kind of travel is kind of part of what you do? Um, it's a great question. I think there was a point where when you don't like being in line up, and being called out and people are kind of staring at you funny. Yeah. Um, for us, it was okay. Cause Adam was little, but there were kids who were like 14, 15, 16 who were getting embarrassed going, let's say on a basketball trip to the U S right. Right. And so then a lot of these kids didn't want to do sports anymore because it was humiliating. So, right. um, and especially like our kids, six people are going to look at it and go, that's ridiculous. But yeah. when you're on the list wrongly yeah. and you're 18, 19, 20, we didn't have as much of an issue, Stuart, but there were a lot of kids who refused to travel anymore. And that's unfortunate. Right? Yeah. You don't want that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it was one of those things, you tweet something out and then it blows up and it becomes bigger. Like I kind of stumbled into it and it was because of a lot of great people like Khalid Al-Ghazar, who's our lawyer who did the pro bono work, Sarah Wilson, Karen Ahmed, Aisha Vahini, like I could, I, I, I'm going to miss names. Like there were a solid group of people, Greg Glenn. Um, a whole bunch that really got involved. Zemir Khan, he was him and his wife Heather, their little boy Sebastian was on the list. Like it, mm-hmm. was just, it just grew, and I think the government got a little bit like, okay, stop tweeting. <laughs> every, every time, every time the news hit came out, or I think you even did a video, or you did something, or you put a tweet out, and then it, and I remember at points like other prominent people got involved and said, well, we're impacted, and then the government was like, please stop using social media. And we're like, no, no, exactly, it, and we're not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I was going to ask you as well, like I, as I'm mentioning that uh, I was making fun of uh, making that wasn't making fun of. I was having some fun with uh, the notion of flight attendants and at the top of the show. I'd mentioned how it doesn't require that much training, which I think was surprising to me to find out how long. What is the training for a flight? Because you were a flight attendant on Air Canada for a while. I was. Um, I, I'll actually tell you um, that the training was one of the most intense I've ever. Really? Had. See, now yeah, I, feel, yeah. so, I feel mean now. 
Well, you are kind of mean. That's okay. Like, now I can get you back, so it's all good. Because um, everyone knows you as being mean, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, just, that's, that's brand. my brand. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was tough, man. We we had six weeks of training from, I remember, four to midnight. This was in Montreal. There was one hour break. And you would think that most of the focus was like on service or whatever. Yeah. It was on emergency procedures. Like, how do you evacuate an aircraft right. quickly when you're on a water landing? And And the problem was... You get three strikes when you're tested. Mm-hmm. Third strike, you go home. Right. And I remember two days before final graduation, one of her classmates, and you're literally going through hell. She got her third strike. She got sent home. Oh wow! Which, yeah. So it's... they're they take it really seriously. Like you, like proper procedures. How are you in a protective position? What command? Like imagine if you heaven forbid you crash land, you got to tell people in a panic to remove their seatbelts. Right. You don't tell them that then they're not leaving the plane. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you're being examined on that. If you miss that command, fail. And so it was six weeks of, of high stress. You have to remember emergency procedures. You have to remember that, you know, it's the red button on this airplane on a 320 versus the green button on a 767 right. versus the blue button. So it, it was it was pretty intense. I don't – I have a greater appreciation for it now. Like, imagine, too, like they had, like, a, a thing called an EVAC trainer. Yeah. So they simulate actual smoke in the cabin. It's not real smoke. It's like vegetable oil based right, right. type of smoke. But you can't see. So what That's are you going to do? Wild. That's kind That's of reassuring. Wild. It's re- very reassuring, actually, because I was I was concerned before thinking like these. I don't know if they have enough training, but apparently they do. That's really great. Well, now I feel great about flying again. Which leads yeah, me- they, they have to they have to requalify. You know, people put a lot of attention on the pilots, and God love them. But if the thing if the plane goes down, yeah, it's not the pilots are getting out of you, getting you out of the plane. It's the flight attendants. So be nice to them. <laughs> exactly. I I have a terrible, really quick story to tell about a flight attendant, which I I I. I feel terrible about now because it was it was unintentional. I was <laughs> yeah, yeah. fly I was flying to Hawaii when I was eighteen with my family, and yeah. uh, I, it's a long flight. And I was stretching out, and I stretched my leg out just as the flight attendant like quickly walked by, and oh, I stretched no. my leg out, and she like went down full face plant into the middle of the aisle, but thought I had done it intentionally. I was mortified. I was absolutely, I didn't ask for anything. I didn't get up to go to the washroom. I was like, no, no, I'm just going to stay here. It doesn't matter. I'm never going to, I can't show That's my face. Too, to do that. Exactly. Maybe, exactly. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, we're talking to Suleiman Ahmed and uh, one of the co-founders of No Flyless Kids and a former flight attendant in Air Canada, which is exciting. We're going to ask him more questions about that as we talk about travel and whether it's boom or bust time after the pandemic as we come out of it. Uh, but before we get to that, we're going to take a, a quick break. You're listening to Kitchener Today on City News 570. Welcome back to Kitchener Today on City News 570. I'm Brittle Star, or Stuart Reynolds, if you were my wife. Actually, she doesn't even call me by my name. I said that the other day. She doesn't call me my name ever. Uh, we're talking to Suleiman Ahmed, who's a co-founder of the No Flyless Kids, as well as a former Air Canada flight attendant. Suleiman, thank you so much for coming on the show again. And I wanted to ask you a question um, and I just told a story before we stopped for break there where I accidentally tripped a flight attendant and felt <laughs> mortified about doing that. You must have some stories. Cause I'm thinking about traveling post-pandemic and we'll be, we'll be flying for pretty soon. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. oh, is it going to be a thing? Like, is it, is it going to be a nonstop battle between flight attendants and travelers? Or do you think, how do you think it's going to go down? I, you know, in my observation, for the few times I've started traveling, particularly to the U.S., I think people have been pretty good. I think people have been pretty understanding. And I, w- I would say that um, being on the other side of the line, like serving people, is to be patient because a lot of the 
airlines are short staffed right now. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of people that were let go. Like I can tell you that WestJet's got over 5,000 open job requisitions. Oh man. That's a lot. Yeah. And they're, and they're, and the capacity's increased, right? Like it's not like, oh, well they're, they've lost so many, they have so many openings because the travel figures are starting to pick up to not quite where they were pre COVID, but, but they're getting up. Mm-hmm. Right. So you may be at two thirds. So imagine if you're at two thirds, but you're at half staffing or, you know, two thirds staffing, that's a problem. And it must it must be a strain as well, and it must make the job of being a flight attendant even harder. I would think. Well, I would say that the, the, yeah, the, the flight attendants or the gate agents or the, the ramp guys, mm-hmm. the baggage handlers, like air traffic control, crew scheduling, like everyone's stretched, right? So I think, um, and then you know you're dealing with sometimes weather and regular operations. So I think it's really important to be thankful. Say thank you to people. Right? Yeah. it'll make a difference. Hell, it might even get you upgraded. Exactly. <laughs> See, that's what leads me to my next question. I think you're right. I think one of the keys is like you just have to be very patient and tolerant with each other, and and make sure that we're giving, everyone's cutting some slack. Basically, get, cutting some slack for people so that they can everyone kind of adjust to real life again and getting back to a little bit of normalcy, which is good. Uh, so question I had, as you led to, was uh, I would like to know from you as a former flight attendant, and I feel you're distanced enough now from your job that you can, you can reveal this. One, what is the uh, weirdest thing that happened while you are a flight attendant? And two, mm-hmm. what is a secret tip as a traveler I should know that will, get, that will curry me favor with the flight attendants? Okay, so the weirdest tip or the weirdest incident with me was, uh, it's probably too long for me to say right now on the show, but <laughs> was I had Jack Nicholson on a flight. <gasps> That's great. Yeah, and for a kid who grew up in Nova Scotia, like that was the first time I met firsthand like a real celebrity. This yeah. was back in 1998 yeah. or so, 97. So that was before people fly, fly private or whatever. And it was just an experience. Like I felt I was, I felt like I was on a set of a movie because <laughs> all I did was bring him scotch on the raw. <laughs> Like I, I, I gave him six of them, and he just was from L.A. to Toronto, and he just kept drinking them nonstop. And I didn't, like, mention his name or anything. Yeah. I didn't, I, like, I didn't ask him for an autograph or a photo. Right. Just, you know, but at the end of the flight, when I'm taking his glass, he mm-hmm. kind of looked at me like, what the hell are you doing, kid? And I'm like, oh, we have these lovely plastic cups, sir. Let me give you this nice drink so you don't have to rush your drink. But I got to take the glass away for Ministry of Transport regulations and yeah. safety. I got to put it away. But I haven't said his name, right, Stuart? So then he looks at me and goes, just out of curiosity, kid, do you know who I am? <laughs> and I don't know what possessed this to come out of my mouth, but it did. I looked at him and I said, Mr. Nicholson, do you think I live in a cave, sir? And then I realized, oh, my God. <laughs> you just snarked him. Studios is going to write to Air Canada. I'm going to get fired because the first six months you're on probation. And if anyone complains about you, you're toast. So then I just looked at him. I'm like, don't answer that. And I ran in the galley and, 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 and I hid for the rest of the flight. And the intern's like, get out there and do service. I'm like, no, I'm not going anywhere. You send other people out there. I'm, I'm cleaning the galley and I'm putting stuff away. And he's like, you got to get out there. And I'm like, like, hell I do. Right? And, and then we land in Toronto and he's standing there in front of me. You know, like, Stuart, like some people, like you deal with a lot of prominent people. Like, you know, they have charisma. It's just beaming. Sure, absolutely. And I'm avoiding looking at him, and I'm covering my name tag awkwardly because I don't want to get reported. And he's just, just smiling and grinning at me like a Cheshire cat. And then he leans forward, and he, he puts, like, this thing in my pocket, and I look at him, my jacket, and he's like, there you go, kid. Here's my autograph. Maybe you can show it to your girlfriend or something. And, you know... You know, and, you know, and instead I'm like thinking, oh, gee, thanks, Mr. Nicholson, but I'm just not saying anything. And then he gets off the plane with his handlers, and then they, they don't even go up the ramp. They go down the stairs, and there's like a car waiting to escort him away. Yeah. 
And I'm like ready to pass out. But it turned out he gave me a hundred. Oh, that's even better than an autograph. Yeah. And you've got a story so, and a hundred bucks. Exactly. So the, the thing I would say to your next question is just, just be polite with the staff. Smile. Say thank you. You know, if another passenger is having a hard time putting a bag up, help them. Help them with their bag. Yeah. Right? I like, appreciate that's and, good. And I, would, and I would say, like, the other things, too, are just you feel better about yourself. But I would also say that dress the part. I've always That's smart. learned that if you dress well, like you belong in business class, odds are you can get upgraded to business class. Well, there you go. Well, thank you so much, Suleiman. I really appreciate that. That's the tip right there. Just look like you're rich, and people will treat you like you're rich. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's the secret. Not, right? Thanks so much for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Take care, Stuart. So we're going to tape, uh, take a news break now, and coming up after the news, we're going to talk to uh, Skip the Dishes enthusiast Bob Roth. You're listening to Kitchener Today on City News 570. Welcome back to Kitchener Today on City News 570. I'm Brittle Star, or you can call me Stuart Reynolds if I owe you money. Uh, actually, call me something else. If I owe you money, call me like Phil Dubois. That'd be good. Yeah, Phil Dubois here if I owe you money, and Brittle Star if I don't. Um, we've been having an interesting conversation about travel, and as we come out of the pandemic, it was really great talking to Suleiman and also talking to John Kastner. We're going to move on now. One of the other things about the pandemic that was interesting to me was that takeout and delivery really kind of like exploded, right? Because it had to. People still wanted to, to support restaurants and businesses and, and, and such. And that meant that you couldn't go, sometimes during lockdowns or whatever, you couldn't go into a store. You had to either order online or order on the phone and, and then you'd do curbside or you'd get it delivered. And a big part of that, of course, is the takeout apps like your Uber Eats and uh, uh, DoorDash and Skip the Dishes and all that kind of stuff. And I, I want to find out if... We're now addicted. Are we addicted to takeout apps now? And to, to join me in this conversation, I've got Bob Roth is joining me. And Bob Roth is a skip the dishes enthusiast. And he has a mixed feelings. Hi, Bob. Thanks for joining me, man. Hey, thanks, Phil. <laughs> Damn it. Do I owe you money? Yeah, um, I, oh, well, I knew it. I knew it. Um, I wanted to ask you, so are, are, are you addicted to uh, takeout apps like skip the dishes now? Like, is it just part oh, of your it, regular routine? It was. It is a part of it. Uh, it it uh, was inevitable. We are addicted to convenience, mm-hmm. and um, you know, for you know, five extra bucks, I can have food from any number of restaurants delivered to my home. Right. Yeah. I mean, you just can't beat that. I mean, I don't have to get out there uh, in my car. If you're rather introverted, you can still have. Noodles, pizza, burgers, what have you, what name you, what want you, brought right to your house. Which is fantastic. I mean, I can't, to me, I don't really see necessarily a downside to this at all. And I think you can sort of see like the explosion of like ghost kitchens popping up where you've got, instead of looking at dining in, um, it's just set up to get food from a variety of different types of kitchens that are set up like that. Do you think, it, think it's, is it ever going to stop? Like now that we're coming out of the pandemic, are we going to be like, that's enough. We're going to go back to going to pick it up or like, nope, that's it. This is the way it is now. Restauranting itself has, has changed fundamentally. And uh, like every Sunday I go to brunch with my, with my parents at a local restaurant. Right. Um, they're not paying us to mention them. So I won't. <laughs> um, anyways, but we go to this local restaurant and um, and we know so we know the owner and uh, the owner 
said like there's there's still they have a section there that they have for pickups for skip the dishes and right. uh, and I asked her I said like is this part she says I mean it's great I mean she says we can now do beyond our seating capacity in food sales and really the restaurant cares about selling food mm-hmm. uh, as much as they say well it's about feeding people and, and giving you the experience it's about it's about getting food in mouths right that's that's all that the, there is to it and if you have a restaurant now instead of having to have a large space where you can seat say 50 people you just have to have kitchen enough and an area enough uh you can have a much smaller space and if you're takeout only you don't even have to have drivers you can just do it all through skip the dishes and i mean is it is it, are you making less money than if you would have people come into your restaurant Maybe on a per plate basis, but mm-hmm. for your expenses, I can't, I mean, what a great way to run a restaurant. You don't have nearly as much overhead, nearly as many employees. Right, um, right. Which is, know. yeah, I, I can see both the good and bad of that, of course. But at the same time, I know that a lot of restaurants are suffering right now and that they can't get staff. It's really hard for them to get staff. So this seems like a really good viable option for them. Yes, we were we went out to, for uh, dinner last night, and uh, we 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 had to go to the fourth place because all these other places were closed. <laughs> we got we got turned away from the one restaurant at the at a, a um, at a hotel here in town, right downtown. Uh, you'll know the one again. I won't mention the name, <laughs> um, but but you no, know, we we like the food there. It's a great restaurant, but they said. We're really short-staffed, and the yeah. kitchen's a bit behind. So unless you're staying here, I'm afraid we're going to have to say, you know, we, we can't seat you right now. It's pho- <laughs> I've never had that before. No, it's phenomenal. It's certainly one of the weird things that happened, one of the phenomena part of the pandemic, for sure. I'm just going to ask the listeners if uh, how you feel about Skip the Dishes and, uh, and if you're addicted to it, if it's changed your patterns of buying, which will ask you, Bob, in a second as well. You can call in 519-570-2545, 519-570-2545, or if you're from far away, you can call 1-800-570-5715, 1-800-570-5715, that's toll free, or star 570 from your cell phone. Again, I've never done that, and it sounds like you have to be in 1998, but hey, if it works for you, that's cool. Um, so, Bob, tell me, do you think one of the things I, I, I had a meeting, uh, I guess a number of months ago now, but the head of marketing for Skip the Dishes was part of this meeting. And one of the really interesting things that they were saying was that uh, the buying habits of people have changed the pandemic. The, the convenience factor of getting dinner, and I think that's sort of like a, a an easy sell is to be like, what do you want to do for dinner? I don't know. Let's just get Skip the Dishes. Let's get Uber Eats. Let's get whatever and order from your favorite restaurant. That's great. However, he had mentioned that people like the, the, the coffee sales in the morning, like coffee, which was really unusual, I thought, especially in Toronto, coffee sales have exploded on Skip the Dishes. Like people are ordering coffee. Have, has your habits have changed? Are you just doing dinner or are you doing like other stuff as well? That, no, that has not changed. Um, we, we have a coffee machine right here. Yeah. And you can get yourself a, a decent little coffee machine for like 50 bucks. That's what I thought too. Tire. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yes, do we have skip the dishes at least twice a week? Right. Right. Uh, we also, we also do the HelloFresh uh, yeah. meal bringing thing. So that's three meals there. Yeah. 
Uh, uh, but yeah, we do it at least twice a week, maybe three times a week. Skip the dishes. Uh, do have we done coffee? Uh, no, right. Uh, like See, that's that's like a four dollar charge on top of what <laughs> should be to me be a, a buck twenty five. <laughs> So you've got your limits. You've got your limits. Is that where it tops out for you is basically uh, you look at the price. You were saying earlier, like, you know, $5 on top or whatever. That's fine. Whatever. Who cares? And that's great for the convenience. You're right. I totally agree. But there's yeah. like a there's like a ratio there that you can't you can't cross where it's like if it's if I'm going to order a $4 coffee from Starbucks or something, I just I'm not going to pay another five bucks to get it delivered to me. Maybe I'm just old and was raised middle class, but I refuse to spend six bucks on a coffee. <laughs> I, I can't. I just can't bring myself to do it. I, I can't. It's what. And as I, have you tried anything new because of Skip the Dishes or Uber Eats or whatever? Have you like one of these apps that you're using? Have you tried stuff that you wouldn't have tried before? Or gone to a restaurant you wouldn't have gone to before necessarily? Absolutely. Oh yeah. Um, well, I mean, the, the place is uh, the one noodle place downtown. Yeah. Okay. And no names. But uh, mm-hmm. like I, I would, I had heard of it coming in, but I'd never actually stopped in. It's as easy to get it from some small esoteric little restaurant, right. some new restaurant, as it is from a big chain restaurant. Mm-hmm. It, it's all the same to skip the dishes. It's all the same to what we call it. We call it finger cooking. Right. Like finger cooking from this restaurant is, is A, is as easy as from B. Plus, we, uh, we're using skip the dishes. We found out about a couple of restaurant openings that we hadn't even heard of. Right, right. Right. Now, would you ever, does this translate into, like, as we get out of the pandemic, does it translate into, for example, that Thai place? And by the way, I think you should say the names of the restaurants because you could eat for free, maybe. You never know. They could be listening and they could be like, hey, you could just like get, here's some free noodles, man. Thanks for the plug. So you just got to think yeah. that way. Get, you get that on the top mm, of your mind now. I have to contact Noodle Zone. <laughs> 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 to see if they'd be willing to do that. For the noodle delicious zone. noodles at Noodle Zone. Um, they are. They can't are wait. Good foe, actually. <laughs> but I mean, is it? Do you think coming out of the pandemic, for example, that particular place, Noodle Zone downtown, who make fantastic noodles and Bob Roth really enjoys them, uh, yeah. and suggests that everyone goes there? Um, do you think that that's going to encourage you to go to the restaurant that you like? You're going to transfer from being a not transfer even, but like even straddle being a, a remote takeout app orderer. And then actually go there sometime. Uh, for for us, yes, we also like going out to uh, restaurants. Um, I mean, this is very different from when I was a kid. I mean, restaurants were you know, not all that uh, common a, a situation. Usually, meals were made at home. But yeah. uh, I have uh, I have more money than what I grew up with. Plus, <laughs> I'm lazy. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a great combination. Well, I mean, uh, we've gotten to the point uh, uh, once there where we, we ordered HelloFresh, and uh, I had a meal left over that I had to make then the Monday when I got the three new meals to do because we just hadn't bothered to make it. So do, will I go out? Yes. Will I go out to these to the restaurants that I discover and skip the dishes? I sure will. Yeah. Um, but I must say that Skip the Dishes has kept up Maybe even in, uh, um, increased my uh, takeout um, or my going out to eat uh, dollar that I spent. Now, how, I'm interested to find out as well, like uh, because Skip the Dishes, I believe, is a Canadian company, and um, it's interesting because they have a lot of American 
celebrities doing their marketing for them, like Snoop Dogg and, and John Hamm and all that kind of stuff. And not me, as basically it's about being bitter. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. Now, what was the, how did you, how did you start using this, these apps, like the, the Skip the Dishes app? Oh, uh, my kids uh, yeah. brought it to me. Uh, they, they said, uh, just order something and skip the dishes. And, you know, uh, I am in tech. I can describe to you the protocols that are used by these apps <laughs> to do things, but I don't know what all these apps are. They said, just get skip the dishes and we can just order it. And I said, what's that you're saying? <laughs> then I looked up skip the dishes and I said, oh, my God, this is an amazing idea. And uh, I was hooked ever since. So for the listeners, I, I want to ask you again, do you love or hate these takeout apps like Skip the Dishes, Uber Eats? Do you think they're good for restaurants or bad for restaurants? Uh, Bob and I think I, we're in agreement that they're good. You can call in 519-570-2545, 519-570-2545, or you can call toll-free 1-800-570-5715. Or Star 570 from your cell phone if you're using a Motorola StarTac or something. Um, that was a reference to an old tech phone. Um, but it's interesting. I think that people were concerned initially that there were some restaurants saying, don't order through the app, order directly through uh, the restaurant. But there's a convenience factor that I like so much, especially even with... Uh, you know, like even taking Uber or something, or even like a Beck taxi or something, like where you've got an app and it's it's contactless. There's no money that has to change hands between you and the person who's providing the service. It's all done in the background digitally. Um, what's the big selling point for you? Is it just is it that aspect, or is it the choice, or what is the thing that makes you interested in that? It is purely the convenience, mm-hmm. like you said. Uh, I don't have to, I don't have to talk to the person. Uh, there's there's no hassle with payments. Or having you know them saying we will bring the machine there, and then you try to use the, the debit thing, which I did a couple times with uh, the pizza places. One time it didn't work; you had to step out on the street like a hobo <laughs> to order my delivery pizza. And uh, wow, that was really shameful of me. I'm going <laughs> to say that later. But it's that convenience factor. I think that's I think that's basically it. I'm just going to listen to see what uh, Jody has to say. Jody, uh, thanks for Hi, calling I in. Did- Hello. Um, I just wanted to say I don't use those apps at all. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like the old school, old fashioned kind of girl that <laughs> likes to go out, get the exercise to get there uh-huh. and then come home. I think those uh, those uh, apps were like skip the dishes and all that. Yeah, I think they're just for rich people. Really? You know? Really? I, I'd probably use it if I had more made more money than what I make. But I don't I'm not rich. Right? Right, right. So, I'm a low-income person, so right. I don't use those things. Probably is the main reason probably why I don't use those apps. So it's that surcharge on top of whatever you're yeah, buying, plus I in the delivery charge. Maybe if I was ever rich, maybe I wouldn't use them at all, and I'd still go out, right. get the exercise to get there, and then come home. I don't know, because I've never been rich before. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for calling in, Jody. I yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Uh, that's interesting. I mean, uh, I think that, uh, as Jody said there, she's, she's got the impression that you have to be have a lot of money like Bob. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it's interesting because I, I think there's this notion that there's a surcharge and it's really expensive. And I'm not here to try to sell Skip the Dishes, really. I don't care if you use Skip the Dishes or not until, of course, they pay me to do some branded content, in which case then I will tell you to do use Skip the Dishes. But until that point, I don't care if you do or not. Um, and it's... That perception of like there's like a, a an idea that you're somehow above things. I just want to talk to. It looks like says maybe Desiree. Let's find out one second. Uh, sorry, is hey. it is it Desiree? Is that right? 
Hi, Desiree. Thanks for calling in. How are you doing? Not bad. Not bad. So what do you think about these takeout apps? Well, um, I am I'm in the restaurant business. Mm-hmm. So I own my own restaurant. Um, you know what? They they have been a godsend, mm-hmm. honestly. They've, uh, they've done a really good job with what they have. Um, the only uh, the only issue I have is that they charge so many service fees. Oh, yeah. They're, they charge they charge us. They charge the customer. Um, and then there's like added delivery charges and whatnot to them. It just, um, if you order direct from, from the restaurant, like from ours, then you, there's no added fees whatsoever. Unfortunately, we don't have the, the uh, capability of right. having the payment online. Right. Um, the, that's the only issue. So, but, yeah. so for, for people, this is a really good bit of information from an actual restaurant owner. Uh, so let's say something costs $10 at your restaurant uh, on the menu if I walk in and buy it from you for $10. Does that same yeah. item cost like $12 on Skip the Dishes, or how does that work? Uh, no, generally we're, we have been told I, it's changed over over time, but uh, no, we still charge the same price, so we still get... So you soak up the get. difference. You're losing the money. Right. So oh, right. We, so they charge us 30%. So oh, wow. We pay 30%, and then they charge... And, you know, that would be fine with me if they didn't charge the customer 30% as well and, and you know, all these different fees. It just, um, it should be one or the other. They shouldn't be charging everyone. Right. So there's got to be a bit of a balance there between, I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, it was a bit of a godsend through the pandemic and there's a convenience factor. And as Bob had said, you can easily order and that's maybe expanded what the choices of restaurants you might go to that you wouldn't otherwise go to. But at the same time, there's got to be a bit of a better deal or a more fair, fair deal to restaurateurs like yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much for calling in, Desiree. I appreciate that. And feel free to oh. say your restaurant name. I can't stop you. Feel- oh, okay. It's the Duke of Wellington. In oh, Waterloo. love the Duke of Wellington. <laughs> Had many a curry God. chips there. Fantastic. Thanks Wonderful. for calling in, Desiree. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. You too. Uh, very interesting. Um, we're just going to stop there for a quick break. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. You're listening to Kitchener Today. If you're listening to this tomorrow, you're too late. Uh, on City News 570, I'm Brittle Star, better known to my mom and dad as Stuart Reynolds, or my grandmother, but she's dead. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, we're talking about if travel uh, takeout apps are good or bad. And uh, we've heard some great information from Desiree, who's a restaurant owner, who said that they're good, but they charge a bit too much money. Bob, who's a skip-the-dishes enthusiast, says they're fantastic. The convenience just can't be beat. We're just going to talk to Aaron now. Aaron, you're on the air right now. How do you feel about takeout apps? I enjoy takeout apps. I um, pre-pandemic, I used to travel a lot mm-hmm. and uh, stay at hotels. And when you have been traveling and you check into a hotel and you just feel like seeing what's local, uh, it's great because you get right. the pictures of the restaurant, you get the ratings. Uh, I'm a big fan of Skip the Dishes too, so I think Bob's right. Yeah, I think that convenience is really hard to beat. It's really hard to beat, and you don't mind like the extra pricing and all that kind of stuff. That doesn't bother you too much. You know what? You pay for convenience and everything in life. So for someone to go and pick it up and bring it to me, then I should pay the extra fees, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thanks for calling in, Aaron. I appreciate it. So, uh, yeah, as we were saying, you know, it's interesting. The convenience factor is, is, is immense. And I think what's one of the interesting things that's happened in the social media digital age, and Bob, you can tell me if you agree with this or not, is that I think that, you know, people in general are really valuing their own time. They're really putting like literally a dollar value on their own time. Like how much time do I, how much time am I worth spending on going out to find, you know, food or whatever? 
Uh, is that sort of the, is that, does that jive with what you think, Bob? Oh, I couldn't afford me. God. <laughs> um, to to some extent, do I do I uh, kind of assign a dollar value to my time? A, a, a certain amount. Uh, yeah. Some people would take that to an extreme. It's like uh, sometimes it's uh, relax there, uh, Chester. Like you're <laughs> off the clock and no one's paying you. Don't tell me that I owe you fifty bucks for coming out to my house. I, I just don't. Um, I think that's just it. It's just it's that convenience factor is amazing. And it was interesting sort of hearing like the price, it's sort of making it seem like it's just out of the reach of certain people. And I think that's maybe not necessarily true, but there is a weird divide between uh, people who are using them and people who aren't using them. And that's that notion of like, well, of course I have money in my account. Whereas a lot of people maybe are thinking, I don't know if I have that specific amount of money in my account. And I've certainly been there lots of times before, but there seems to be lots of choice in the apps as well. There's a, there's a lot of, uh, this is a very, very new thing too. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, like, uh, you know, my, my mother only just got herself a smartphone because I bought her one last year. Right. Right. <laughs> so like she just didn't, I just don't need one. I, I, I don't want, so this is just another new thing, which, uh, actually that restaurant owner saying it, they take a 30% chunk. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot. So maybe keep that in mind when you're ordering. And if you get a chance, uh, not just you specifically, Bob, but I'm also speaking specifically to you, uh, is if you head back over to noodle zone, uh, make sure that, uh, you're able to pop in eventually and, and your local restaurants for those listening listeners as well. Go to your local restaurants and help out when you can. Thanks so much, Bob. I really appreciate you popping in to chat about this today. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks, Bob. See ya. Well, listen, we're just about uh, winding down here on Kitchener today on City News 570. And again, I'm Brittle Star, better known as Stuart Reynolds uh, to the Revenue Canada people. Um, and um, I really appreciate you hanging out with me. This has been really fun. It's been very, very weird. It's been lovely talking to everybody. And uh, I learned, I feel like I actually learned something, which I, I almost feel tired and I'm looking over at Brittany, and she's nodding her head. And every now and then, and also Polly's looking up, but he's pretending to not to notice me as well. But I wouldn't have been able to do it without uh, Polly and Brittany. So thank you very much to Polly and Brittany, uh, who are manning the controls and making me look like I know what I'm doing. I'm just sitting behind a big desk. That's basically it. But I'm really good at it, though. I'm very, very good at sitting behind a big desk and looking like I know what I'm doing when I actually have no idea whatsoever. We've learned about social media. We've learned about uh, travel. We've learned about uh, takeout apps. And, uh, of course, a big thanks to our guest, Dr. Jen Goldbeck, uh, Aaron Reynolds of F and Birds, John Kastner from the Stratford Perth Museum for Justin Bieber Exhibit, Suleiman Ahmed, co-founder of No Filist Kids, and uh, Bob Roth, a skip-the-dishes enthusiast and Noodle Zone in Stratford's number one customer. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We really, really appreciate it. And um, take care of yourself, and we'll talk to you sometime soon. See ya.